Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Carrying Through the Matrix on the 29th of March 2020. Now this will be another large talk this week. I don't plan it like this. I honestly don't, don't sit down and decide what I'm going to talk about. I do look through stories during the week sometimes, or even a day before, and just collect a few just to mention if they, if they are warranted at all, and, um, and I'll read them. But uh, I prefer just to let it come on spontaneously. I've always done the same thing. And it's more natural, isn't it? Uh, I, I like to talk to people the same way if I, if I see people in person. You've got to be natural about things, not this, this, this pretentious nonsense that you're trained to believe. And folk actually emulate the characters in television news programs, the anchor people that they've grown up with. They try to emulate how they, they pause and look and sternly and, they, and how they, they pronounce things. And It's so unnatural. If someone came into your house and sat across the table for a cup of tea or something, uh, you'd think they were a robot if, if they did that kind of thing in your, in your presence, you see. So I'd rather just be quite natural. So, because it's a long one, a long talk, I'll, just like last week, I'll split it up for those that want it. And I'll do the whole one, whole program for those who want to download the whole thing on the web on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And I'll also, also split up into parts as well so they can bring down each, each segment if you want to. Some folk like to upload um, them too. So it may be easier for them if it's all broken up as well. But for the rest of the people, just continue with the talk and I'll go right through the whole, however long it'll end up being. And that's, that's how we'll do. I always like to tell you that I hope that you're all doing pretty well, as well as can be expected, With uh, apart from the all the usual things that happen in life to, to us all at some time or another in different ways. And the problems that people have with even getting work. If today you put off your work, if you have any at all. And you're locked down for most people too. As we go through this massive, massive experiment, which really has... Uh, I gave talks years ago on this very, very thing. Years, even in the late 90s, and then the SARS one in 2003, then other outbreaks after that too in 2009-10, and so on. And but back in the 90s, I mentioned the fact that eventually you would you would be made to take some kind of chip or, or ID chip or something, which would be electronically tagging you. And you wouldn't walk into a supermarket eventually without it. And it would have to have your vaccinations up to date or alarms would go off and all the fingers would point at you and then you'd be dragged off. And these things are coming down the pike. Because, you see, you're living in an incredible agenda. And most folk can never get that through their heads. It doesn't matter. Even if you show them, you can't help most folk who don't want to know. It's a choice to know things. And if you choose not to know, uh, then they, they feel that they don't have to be involved in anything except to go along with uh, orders or prompts that they get from the behaviorists that run our lives today and run, run them through their fictional movies and dramas and on the internet too. The internet's incredibly well organized and run by behaviorist teams, BITs, uh, that prompt you to go all the, to tell the sites they want you to go and not to look at up the, the actual sites you're trying to get to. We're so incredibly, incredibly managed and folk have no idea 
just how intense it is. Uh, we've come an awful long way, really, in 20, 30 years, basically. And don't forget, too, that even the internet was set up by ARPA. They became DARPA, and they set it up, really, during the Cold War, back in the 50s and 60s. And they were running their games with Russia back and forth for a long, long time. So the, the internet as such was highly developed. And I know people who have been able to buy some of the equipment from the 1970s and 80s, from the NSA, it's used stuff, old stuff and so on. And the old stuff really was high definition and, and a lot of the, the computer type of, the types of stuff was way faster than they're even selling to you today. Uh, we're living in a, in a fool's paradise in some way, but it could also be a, a hell for those that know. You could, it's true enough, you can only be a fool's in a paradise if you don't know what's going on and you don't care to know and they say ignorance is bliss. But you truly are living through an amazing agenda. And back in the 90s and, uh, and later too, I mentioned that to get the whole agenda through would take wartime scenarios, either outside attack. And of course, the 9-11 came along and that brought in the first half of it. And then it would be economic. And we got the crash 2007-2008. And money literally, uh, since 2008 in Canada for sure, uh, because we borrowed from the, the U.S. Federal Reserve, by the way, to bail us all out, and we're still paying for all. Uh, the, the dollar in Canada, was from 2008 onwards, dropped and dropped and dropped in purchase, real purchasing power by a good, almost, well, it's, it's almost 50, 60% percent items, no doubt about it. Food has, has probably tripled in price or more, or quadrupled in price, especially meat. And they want to wean you off it. But anyway, and wartime scenarios, real imaginary or fictitious or whatever, are using the war on a virus. Uh, they bring in basically the same uh, martial law type scenarios, emergency powers acts. I've got them all, all the different things here. And uh, they can do whatever they want. And like again, back in the 90s, I talked about how you steer the public the public go to sleep, or they say we're like cattle grazing in fields, uh, or sheep. Sheep's pretty good for that too. And if it's a nice sunny day, and, and there's not much happening as you go through life, it's, a, it's an eternal sunny day in your mind, and uh, you're playing yourself and having a good time. It's hard for them at the top, with all the big massive think tanks, to, who are directing the future and where they want you to go, and your children to go, and grandchildren, and so on. It's hard to get you to move and accept things when you're peaceful and happy. And the longer you're at it, chewing the, chewing the grass, you see in that beautiful field there, the less you want to, you'll say, no, I'm not, I'm not budging. Well, once you get this going, the stampede, and you get the horror, and there's, there's the cattle, this, like Rick Rawhide, the movie, the, the series and TV, Rawhide, yeah, you know, don't try to understand them. Just, just move them, move them, and brand them. You know, and uh, so you get them stampeding, and they're, they're wild-eyed, and you know, and even you, you can't talk, once they're wild-eyed, and, you, and they're really getting them going, they, they lose their minds. And it's easy to steer them by people at the front and the sides to, to nudge them along in the direction they want them to go. And once you've got people really stampeding. Uh, the idea, the technique is not to let them settle down then. If you've got a whole list of things to accomplish, uh, that's the time to, to move them here, then move them there, move them, and they keep moving, and they'll do what they're told, you see, because they're panicked.
And so it's the first thing in warfare. It's, it's astonishing to, to realize, as I've said, so we've never had a generation. We've never had a generation of people who've had complete peace in their life. We, we haven't been allowed that. I keep saying we get, we get financial crashes, at least two or three a century, big, the big ones. You're, you're plundered. Uh, your economies are totally plundered by the big banks and the stock market and the people who manage all uh, for themselves. And then you have wars. They give you wars. And it isn't for often a whole generation later that they'll really tell you and start to sneak out books and deep because now it's, it's taken off the official secrets and you find that the real reasons for war completely different, completely different, really, and deceitful from what, what they told the public at the time. If they tell, if they tell the people at the time uh, the truth, that they won't go off to war. So you must, again, always, even if you want to invade someone, then you've got to you've got to pretend that you're being invaded first, even if you're not. It's amazing the double think and double speak that goes on to get you to go off. But once the killing starts and some of you, your own people get killed, it's easier them to, to instill the hate and the rage and retribution and vengeance and and away, and it, that can carry on for a long time. So we, we don't get peace. We're not given peace. We're not allowed peace because peace would break down the system that we live under. And it's an incredible system. It's nothing, as I've said so many times, uh, like the system that you're brainwashed to believe it is with your talking heads on TV and your, the people who are on your authorized um, shows and so on. It's, it's a vastly different system. And, and it isn't new when I say this run by experts or people who claim they're experts. Now, now they claim they're really, really into many that more advanced science than than the people of Julian Huxley's day or even H.G. Wells's day. But you'd be surprised just how scientific, as far as data collection on the public, uh, they had at the end of the 1800s in places like Britain, especially, and, and then into the, 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 the 20th century. And the mass propaganda outfits, they, it's just astonishing the marketing techniques used to get wars started and to keep them going and so on. It's like Edward Bernays. Again, he's given a lot of credence or, or, or accolades for being uh, one of the top marketers who, who can, and a persuader of people, you see, through marketing techniques by supposedly understanding the subconscious motives for the people have for buying things and uh, they're not really conscious of the drives inside of them. And his, don't forget the Bernays, his, his, he, his uncle was uh, Freud. So you, 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 you've got this, you've got people like Freud and Bernays who, who specialize in sussing out their victims, put it that way, to get them to do what you want them to do. And many more, of course, now, now it's even more sophisticated. But even back then, Bernays, was approached by the cabal who wanted a war, World War I, for, for America. Don't forget that Britain was already in it from 1914. And they just set up that year too, 14, that's why they set up the central bank system and, and um, the Federal Reserve in America in order to tax the public for a coming war. 
just like the Bank of England. The, the Bank of England could loan to other countries and banks and so on. And they put the, the public, the whole population of Britain down as a guarantor is to pay it off through, and we take it off by taxes upon the Income Tax Act. So the U.S. had to be the same. So they gave it different names for the same system, exactly the same system. And they brought in Warburg from Germany and made him, uh, one of the brothers, the one was still in Germany, uh, the head of the, the bank. And uh, they lent to every country for three years. Massive, massive returns, maybe 200, 300% interest from nations that might lose. You charge incredible interest rates. And then... Come 1917, they said, we better get in there, get Americans in there to make sure that we, this war goes the way we want it to go so we can start getting all our, our payments back on to the bankers, you see. And that's what they did. That's why America went in. And Bernays uh, was approached. We actually, I just see how they approached. He was part of the same cabal, actually. They all knew each other and worked with each other. And he, he, he helped to get America in the war propagandizing stories and so on. They, they even brought out a newspaper for themselves and uh, gave all the different stories that they wanted to get the people in the, really in the rage to go to war. Then after the war was over, being a good psychopath, and psychopaths love to boast, you know, he, he wrote another book about how, how they deceived Americans and conned them into going to war. This is the reality. This is not a conspiracy theory, you know. It's written by the people who were involved in it, like, like Bernays himself. And you, you have to uh, get yourself out of the little rut, saying, oh, that was a little, a, little, a little quirk in time. You know, there was a little one-off thing. No, it wasn't. I mean, Bernays himself kept, he, he actually worked for many uh, U.S. governments, and uh, uh, this public-private partnership was not that new, really. It depends who the master is. And Bernays literally got America, took the, he got the government to send troops to, to Latin America, to, to overthrow any people who were trying to be socialist. Uh, uh, and he had the American Fruit Company as a client, massive client, and massive shares of his own in it. And they elected a guy who wanted to start spreading some of the wealth inside the country instead of getting taken out to shareholders in America. And uh, Bernays managed to... He actually set up another, another big propaganda newspaper and a film crew and put out in the, in the cinemas how evil this country was and how terrible it was and how socialist it was and, and how they take down the nation, etc. But it was all in order to get America to send the troops down and kick the guy out. And America's been doing that kind of thing ever since. So that, that's only one little thing, and it's got nothing to do, to do really what I'm talking about tonight except the system in which we live is a system with incredible think tanks uh, that work full-time it's hard for you to imagine that these aren't little guys that go into hobbies and, and just come and meet once. No, no think, real think tanks, the think tanks for the foundations uh, are, are a department of the foundations. And there are many, many foundations run by the big multi-billionaires. And some of the billionaires, most of the billionaires you'll never really know. You'll see the front ones for them. Those put front men out there pretending to be self-made people and so on, or geniuses, that's how it's done. And it's good enough for the public. I mean, why should they be lying to you, you know? And, but the fact is, they lie to you because they, they never want you to have any truth at all. They want you to be like a sponge that just soaks up the propaganda that's dished out daily to you so you'll behave in the right way. The think tanks plan futures, just like big business projects and business plans. And some of these big, big uh, companies... 
if you read their, their projects from, from, say, 1960 and 70, they were doing 50-year plans of where they would take their company. And in the process, some of the massive companies take, take the, the world with them or the nations with them. They don't just take the companies. Everything, if, it's very much like an organism, these corporations. And this, this applies to tyrants too and, and tyrannical peoples at times. Not just individ, individual tyrants. But if you move in, if you look at the, a field, a field will have different wildflowers and herbs and, and grasses that will grow over time. In that field. And some will take over from, from some and, and then the old ones die off as the new ones take over and take all the nutrients. And that, that, in other words, an organism alters the terrain for its own survival. Very important to understand that. It alters the terrain. And corporations are the same way. Other things are too, but corporations are definitely the same way. Uh, they're, they're set up not just with, with business and profit. They've got a mandate. And they, they create a whole mystique about themselves to, to their employees, for instance. And, but like a cause, they've got causes. They make sure you know, they've got causes too, and they're charitable causes as well, and we're part of the community, etc. But they have a big, massive um, project to try to get the public to believe the same thing, that they are part of the community or part of the nation, and so on. It used to be a slogan for many, many years that what was good for GM was good for America. And even presidents said that occasionally. That's how interwoven the system is with commerce, massive commerce and wealth and so on. So don't just poo-poo think tanks thinking it's all a bunch of old characters that go out, get in there with smoking pipes and they just chat and, and stare at the ceiling and, and, and vocalize their dreams. It's completely different. It's highly organized. Some of these foundations have as much bureaucracies, and some corporations too have, have as much bureaucracies as some governments have, and, and like civil servants and staff, and departments. And you've got to understand how it really works. Because you see, your whole, what you're living in today is the culmination of many of these think tanks working together. It's an, and it's a pyramid style because there's a snob appeal involved and, and definitely a gang mentality, an organized, a very well-organized gang mentality that, that, to those that run the world. I think just, if you read basic sociology and political sciences, they'll go into, well, yeah, they're kind of like clubs that start off and gentlemen's clubs long ago and... And so, uh, partly true, but it's much, much deeper than just that uh, of the wealthy elite starting. You, you, this is this has gone on for at least pretty openly in some ways from the 1700s that we can detect, you know. And uh, people don't know it uh, that you had the Lunar Society. It's called the Lunar Society. Uh, that uh, that met, you know, every every time in the full moon, I think it was, in the U.S., and they traveled back and forth back then uh, in Britain, and they, and they really did communicate through their, their writings and so on with each other all the time. And the Rothschild at the time was one of them, and some inventors were, were part of it too, and I don't know who they were, 
And they, they, they're literally, the idea was to plan the kind of society they're going to bring in through science and financing of certain sciences. See, other sciences get nowhere if, if you can't get funding. So money is the key to everything today. And has been for a long time. If you hold the, the purse strings of a nation, uh, and the, the government, the heads of government must come to you every year, which they all, which they all do, cap in hand, uh, for, for borrowing more money for their big, big massive projects, which, of course, the lender is so happy to, to encourage them to go into and give money here and give money there and create more debt, which means more taxation. It pays off the, 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 the lender himself. So it's quite a nice... Uh, Cozy setup they have at the top, but again they've got societies or brotherhoods, if you like, to make sure it all works that way. The CFR is one of them. Everybody talks about masonry, so but you, you look into the into where these characters go. CFR is one of them. Comes from foreign relations. The Royal Institute for International Affairs is a big one, massive one, who helped set up. In fact, actually directed the whole. <laughs> The whole system before it was, is even called that name, but it was, it was the Lord Alfred Milner Group with the kindergarten. And they, and they literally ran the British Empire. The, the members of it ran the British Empire, and they pointed each other to government positions and commercial positions to it, and literally ran the world's wealth. Nothing has changed. They still do. And have the divisions for the Far East, for the unification of the Far East countries and so on, the Pacific Rim countries. They have members in China, they've got members in Japan, and all over the place. And they also have the Council on Foreign Relations in America. And they've got the European Council on Foreign Relations now for most or all of the, the European members of Parliament. All basically it's a, a private club, folks. And the, the, whoever joins them swears allegiance to them first and foremost. So don't think that politicians uh, are serving your country. They're not serving your country. They've already given their oaths to, to something else. But they have a big agenda. And it's, it's, not, it's not just developing as we go along. They get what they want, as I say, through how to make this happen. And they'll have plan A, B, C, and D. And, and like a big business plan, they can say this might take us 20 years, 30-year plan, 40-year plan for this part, and so on. And that's how it's done, like the United Nations. Same as the United Nations. Who set up the United Nations? The same organization, Royal Institute for International Affairs. They set up the League of Nations back then, you see, the first one. The World Bank they set up. The IMF they set up. The Bank for International Settlements. All the private institutions, they own them themselves, the ones at the top who own the organizations. And they plan the world. And they plan the world's direction. Minutely through the, the countless think tanks underneath them, like massive bureaucracies. Those that uh, governors, basically, they're governors of the world, unelected governors, they're appointed in a, a definite, almost like a military-type system, have no qualms about dealing with the general population. I've gone through so many talks in the past. And remember, you can go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com website into the archives and listen to the talks I've given over many, many years. And I go through the different characters that pop up in our history, in our recent past and present time too, who shape, they shaped the, the culture that we grew up in, basically. They designed it, they planned it, and they promoted it, and were held up as heroes 
to the, the, to the certain class that ruled the world. And it is a system of a class, not just the upper classes, it's above even that. Uh, these are characters who really are banded together, in a, what they claim is a moral duty, uh, as they enrich themselves uh, to, to save the world, or save a society, or, or what they claim is the betterment of society. The Georgia Guidestones is only one monument to put up. Uh, you, you'll get taught their monuments just by learning what they teach in universities and modern social sciences and so on as you get indoctrinated into the projects. And they get a lot of lesser workers that, that actually work their projects for them and who are also well rewarded as long as you part the right mantras. Not so long ago, I remember hearing, and they do, they give you the front people who get sudden publicity because stars, you know, the star-making machinery for star, for actors and, and musicians is a massive business to make people stars, regardless of whether they have talent or not. But the same star-making machinery makes scientists, for those who haven't caught on to that. An old technique, too, in Bernays' days, he was up, up doing it as well. And they would get people like Einstein, who was more of, a, of advocating social policies and so on for the planet. Uh, as opposed to a scientist, but they promote him as a genius, and that's how it was done. And they still do it today. They give you the front people uh, that seem to... You have these visions of a, a small planet, and these big, tall people with big, long strides uh, striding over it, you know, the, the designing, giving you the, the new kind of cars that you're going to drive, and this, that, and the other, and how you're going to live. And they're being projected to you as though you, and promoted to you as though you, you should, you should just listen to them somehow. They're, they're geniuses. You, and you really believe it. Most people believe what they're, they can't, they, they can't fathom that, no, these are front people for much bigger, bigger purposes. As I say, how come everyone who gets to the multi-billionaire class in, in, in the sciences mainly that we're all using today, which helped to indoctrinate and enslave us again, how come they all suddenly just get to, get to a point, a certain dollar value, and they say, oh my God, I think there's too many people of their own kind, and I, I, but I'd like to vaccinate them all and make them healthy, but there's just too many people. We know who, who Bill Gates has said that, of course, before, and it's up on YouTube still. You hear the clips, he talks about it. But it's amazing that they're all on board with the same project. They suddenly want to be philanthropists, but they don't do anything outside a certain uh, narrow vision. They, they all come along with it, on this board with this exact same program, which is which is not normal either. If you have so many people, you, you think I'll go off and do this kind of thing, which you you, you say, oh well, you know, it's up to them. But no, nope, they're on board with this and with each other too. So once again, you, you're back to that kind of club aspect. You know, they the, use the club. And they're on board with the same thing. They're sworn to it and they back each other up. But, and they've been given power, like they're all issued for international affairs said, with the CFR too, the, the American branch. They said some years ago, and I read the articles at the time, where they said there's time for the big philanthropists to take their proper position in, in governance, global governance, you know. Well, wait a minute, you've just knocked any idea of democracy out the window, although democracy has been a bit of a fake up until now, of course. But it's knocked out the window. You can't have them both. You can't have appointees, self-appointees at that, by, by a particular private club, 
over all, all of, but that's where we've gone through public-private partnerships, etc., etc. But they have big agendas, and don't forget the agendas are always the same. There's too many of you, all the way from Thomas Malthus, right up to the present time. Every one of them that there was hailed as a, somehow a genius or a, philosoph a philosopher, like Bertrand Russell, a math who was really a mathematician. But his, his big thing was social change. Again, the same social change that, that's like a mantra to the brotherhood. Eh? There's too many of you, and you should all live this way. And, and many of you, if you shouldn't have children at all, you should be sterilized. And, and, on and, on and, on. and then again, most folk will actually turn around. If you're well indoctrinated and brainwashed, just through your education and, and watching TV and so on, you're getting bits and bites all the time, you're accumulating in your brain. You say, well, yeah, there's too many people. There's too many of the wrong people. And it never dawns on them that you're all being used. And when you adopt viewpoints that have emotional tang to it, especially, you're being used. Because your emotions then really surpass your reasoning and you go along with something because it, it feels good, it feels better, yeah. But you don't realize that, okay, if you eliminate this group here because they're unfit for whatever you've claimed that they're unfit for, uh, then what's, who's to come down to you one, one day and say, wait a minute, it's time for you to take the, the big dive as well because we don't need you anymore, you're, you're a useless eater. And that's basically what... Julian Huxley said himself, a guy who helped set up a good part of this agenda you're living through today on behalf of the elite of the world. His family claimed that they were a scientific family because they could put across ideas to the public that there's kind of social sciences, you see. And psychologists and psychiatrists and behaviorists, and they're all part of the scientific network that manage the system on behalf of the ones above them, the dominant minority, they call them. Hasn't changed. And these are the guys who, long before uh, Adolf Hitler uh, started off with his uh, basically uh, hygiene, his German hygiene programs, to get rid of the unfit and so on in the hospitals. He got the he got the ideas from Britain, especially from the, the elite group we're talking about now. That are all over the place now, but back then, most of them not not all of them were, were in Britain. The rest of them were in, in the parts of the U.S. and the CFR. But uh, yeah, they got, they got the, all the ideas. Hitler actually went ahead, and again, don't forget that uh, in Coldstream. Harbor in the U.S., the big eugenics organization set up there and funded by Rockefeller and the rest of them uh, to do with uh, creating better types of people, you know, better genetic types of people and breeding the proper genes in them and using cattle ranchers' data on breeding cattle. That's what they used initially to try to adapt into breeding people. And they also wanted to start culling off their own kind of people, which they did. They, they sterilized them the exact same way that H.G. Uh, Wells promoted in his early books. Because H.G. Wells was another employee to push the myth-making machinery 
of doing good to help society by reordering society and, and sterilizing the unfit and so on. Little H.G. Wells was truly a frontman for a much bigger organization. And he took initially the left-hand path of, of socialism, labor, even though he'd never lifted anything heavier than a fork in his life, I think. And he belonged to the Fabian Society, co-founder of it. And so you're, you're looking at a, at a system, well-organized, that takes, makes sure that they run every side of everything. If you've got a class or a point of view or a, whatever it happens to be, they've already got ready-made leaders for you, very well-organized, well-funded. Well, it's easy to have funding if you just have if the guys who, who literally not just print it up but put the extra zeros behind the numbers and computers for nations. You, you can't fail, can you? And that's what it is. But Bertrand Russell was quite blatant about it. And he said, yes, yes we, need a, we need a good black death, a bubonic plague every generation or so to cull off the, the useless types and, the, and infirm and feeble types and, and the poorer types. Quite open about it. And he also said that the future they'd bring in, he and his brother good class that he belonged to, he said, he said, well, by means of diet, uh, injections, and injunctions, we shall bring it, bring it in, their, their, their order in, basically, on the general population. To me, it's really obedient, you see, and cull us off, make us stupid as well. And, of course, you, you also had Aldous Huxley, brother of Julian, writing his books, and he was up there, and he... He knew, that's why he came up with Brave New World way back in the 1930s, mm-hmm. early 30s, 1932, 33, uh, with literally a class system where the people were bred for their functions right down to the, the lower orders, basically. They wouldn't get too bored or, or, or go, go crazy by doing the same repetitive kind of work that robots eventually would do. And they were still on the board with the same thing. I remember a professor too in Australia a few years ago. I got another star that they make these stars up and they get, they get all the airtime suddenly, all, all of a sudden, and the papers immediately jump on board. What do you think of Professor So and So when he says, you know, we've we, we, we got to start bringing down the population mandatorily, you see? And, and the older folks should just die off. Uh, maybe, you know, literally, he's talking about euthanasia rather than, than collect pensions and be a drag on society. He's forgetting that their pension money that they sunk in all their whole working lives kept the system going. And was investing good countless things on behalf of their masters. We've all got the masters, same masters, you see. And they don't want you to, to claim any of it back when you retire. They want you to take it all. But the, the definition for good... United, United, from the United Nations, a good global citizen is a good producer and a consumer. They can look it up from their own website. And once you're retired, you see, you're, you're, you're now consuming. That's how they put it down. You think this, this is little, little children that just came up with this idea of sustainability and, and they're ready to kill for it and knock down and, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. All you nasty people who ruined the world, all you ordinary folk, you know. It's all your fault. Do you think they just dreamed this up themselves? They've been utterly brainwashed into it, 
radicalized through all of their education from an early age at school. And the schools have got all the toolkits to make sure they're really radicalized and also dysfunctional in any other possible way. And they're ripe for revolution against the targets that they've been told ruined the world for them. Taking all the resources and polluting it, it's all your fault. That's done on purpose. If you had a natural system that was all real, and you've got natural overlords watching this from the real society, the real present society that you belong to, the people who would try to radicalize them would have been put behind bars, including the teachers, for what's coming down the pike, folks. It didn't happen all by chance. Nothing ever does. We live in myths, you know. It's like the myth. We all, all have foundation myths from nations. And some of them are nice and quaint, etc. Like the Romulus and Remus idea for, 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 for Rome, you know. That kind of thing. Kind of quaint things. And they're good stories, actually. I like the stories. We all do. We like mythologies, but they still make all the founding myths. And you get the, the ones by the revolutionaries themselves. Revolutions are famous for making up myths. You have to look at, look at the communist system, where literally every school child, right through its entire generational existence of communism, the communist state, the Soviet Socialist Republic, every child had to learn it by heart. Oh, this is what Lenin thought about this, and this is what Marx thought about that, and 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 that they parrot this stuff, and and every exam had it in it, and and so on and so on and so on, regardless of what the topic was, you know. And we're living through that same system in the West. Folk don't know it. When you go into anything that happened in the past, you got you got to bring the present into it, and how would this really be seen through the eyes of a so and so, one of the the many varieties of. Uh, angst that we have today in our PC culture. Of course we're getting taught all. And folk think it's, you know, it's the same system run on behalf of the global elite. The U.S. itself. It's not to put any country down. The people are the people. But by God, the U.S., just like the British folk are now, you know, they've been incredibly abused. They were given a bit more cash that the British ever had during its time as the, as the little the mercenary country that went across the planet fighting to bring civilization, as they were told. I mean, left, left with the, the ordinary folk left with the dead of all, <laughs> including the soldiers, the ordinary soldiers that did all the fighting. But uh, the U.S. were given a bit more extra cash themselves, maybe from 1920 to 1960. 70, then it started going down with the whole economy and the debt, etc., and all the wars. All the wars. But the founding myth again had some a modicum of truth for, for the fact they did definitely have a revolution for independence. But if you read the writings of Franklin, not by the, not about them, or but by them and others that, that signed the declaration, they talk, some of them talk quite candidly of the 30-year period of setting up the system for the revolution, including importing and buying powder and ball and all the and armaments and so on from other nations and, 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 and storing them in secrecy, even in some islands off the U.S. 
for all those years. It, it wasn't a spontaneous thing like, the, like it's made out to be. The U.S. already had the people in it. Uh, they were part of a, a big brotherhood. And ask, you know, look at Benjamin Franklin's uh, talks about that himself, you know. The, the one whose family were the Chandlers, you know, they, they, um, they were candlestick makers, the, the light bringers. You know? <laughs> so anyway, if you go into any country, they, they've got myths, foundation myths and so on. But they were run by, uh, as I say, societies. Everywhere you look, there's societies. And there's no doubt about it. If they, you pile them on top of each other in the proper order, it's a kind of pyramid-type system. There's no doubt about it. And we're living through it. Now, I'll read a little bit, just a little bit, to give you an idea of the mindset of, the thing, of what really runs the world. Because those at the top don't talk about us as though we're human. You know, not, They don't even talk, talk to uh, about us like, like we're fond pets or anything. We're, we're just things. And they have no problem talking about us as, as being nothings, basically, serfs and slaves. And that's a fact. That is a fact. You know, it, it's rather sad but true the way they were being so abused and used and how easy it is to do through, with using incredible sciences of understanding human nature. But here's a little bit, a little bit from H.G. Wells' Anticipations. Uh, some of them say it was published in 1902, but I think 1901, they definitely wrote it then. And H.G. Wells was already involved in societies as a front person who, who would do anything to please the masters. And he did do a lot of things to please the masters. This one's called Anticipations, as I say. And he talks the faith, morals, and public policy of the new republic, like after Plato's republic idea. It's manifested a reconstructed ethical system, reconstructed in the light of modern science, and to meet the needs of such temperaments and characters as the evolution of mechanism will draw together and develop, will give very different values from those given by the existing systems, if they can be called systems, to almost all the great matters of conduct. He's, he's, he's talking about the old systems of, of religious values and humanities values and family values and so on. So, so the, the scientific priesthood, this new religion, you see, at the time, uh, but, but completely different values altogether. And he said that... Um, to almost all the great matters of conduct, under scientific analysis, the essential facts of life are very clearly shown to be two. There's birth and death. All life is the effort of the things born, driven by fears, guided by instincts and desires to evade death, to evade even the partial death of crippling or cramping or restriction and to attain to effective procreation to the victory of another birth. Procreation is the triumph of the living being over the death. And in the case of man who adds mind to his body, it is not only his, in, in his child, but in the dissemination of his thought, the expression of his mind and things done and made, that his triumph is to be found. And the ethical system of these men of the new republic the ethical system which will dominate the world state 
will be shaped primarily to favour the procreation of what is fine and efficient and beautiful in humanity, beautiful and strong bodies, clear and powerful minds, and a growing body of knowledge, and to check the procreation of base and servile types of fear-driven and cowardly souls, of all that is mean and ugly and bestial in the souls, bodies or habits of men. To do the latter is to do the former. The two things are inseparable. And the method that nature has followed hitherto in the shaping of the world, whereby weakness was prevented from propagating weakness, and cowardice and feebleness were saved from the accomplishment of their desires. The method that only has only one alternative. The method that must in some cases still be called in to the help of man is death. The method that must in some cases still be called in to the help of man is death. In the new vision, death is no longer inexplicable horror, no pointless terminal terror to the miseries of life. It is the end of all the pain. That's page 299. He's got the anticipations. So the end of all the pain of life, the end of the bitterness of failure, the merciful obliteration of weak and silly and pointless things. The new ethics will hold life to be a privilege and responsibility, not a sort of night refuge for base spirits out of the void, and the alternative in the right conduct between living fully, beautifully and efficiently, see, and efficiently, will be to die for a multitude of contemptible and silly creatures, fear-driven and helpless and useless, unhappy or hateful happy, in the midst of squalid dishonor, feeble, ugly, inefficient, born of unrestrained lusts, and increasing and multiplying throughout through sheer incontinence and stupidity. The men of the New Republic will have little pity and less benevolence. To make life convenient for the breeding of such people will seem to them not the most virtuous and amiable thing in the world, as it is held to be now, but an exceedingly abominable uh, proceeding. Procreation is an avoidable thing for sane persons, even the most furious passions, and the men of the New Republic will hold that the procreation of children who, by the circumstances of their parentage, must be diseased bodily or mentally. He's talking about uh, what they claim are the unfit. And I do not think it will be difficult for the medical science of the coming time to define such circumstances as absolutely the most loathsome of all conceivable sins. They will hold, I anticipate, that a certain portion of the population, a small minority, for example, afflicted with indisputably and transmissible diseases, with transmissible mental disorders, with such hideous incurable habits of mind as a craving for intoxication exists only on sufferance, out of pity and of patience, and understanding that they do not propagate, and I do not foresee any reason to suppose that they will hesitate to kill when that sufferance is abused. And I imagine also the plea and proof that a grave criminal is also insane will be regarded by them not as a reason for mercy, but as an added reason for death. I do not see how they can think otherwise on the principle they will profess. And they won't be since these guys too will not be squeamish either in facing or inflicting death because they will have a fuller sense of the possibilities of life than we possess. They will have an ideal that will make killing worth the while. Like Abraham, they will have the faith to kill, and they will have no superstitions about death. 
They will naturally regard the modest suicide of incurably melancholy or diseased or helpless persons as a high and courageous act of duty rather than a crime. And since they will regard, as indeed all men raised above a brutish level, do regard a very long term of imprisonment as infinitely worse than death, as being indeed death with a living misery added to its natural terror, they will, I conceive, where the whole terror of man's actions, and not simply some incidental or impulsive action, seems to prove him unfitted for free life in the world, consider him carefully and condemn him and remove him from being. And he goes on and on and on. Now, if you really read the whole the whole thing, you'll find that it isn't just getting rid of what they claim are the ones who are unfit or the bad people either. And don't forget, you can once once you go tyrants in power, uh, they keep expanding the, the levels of who's bad. It's like the it's like the French Revolution. They end up uh, slaughtering themselves eventually, layer by layer, until there's nobody left. And that's that's a, that's part of it too. But don't forget, so, so you can see a lot of stuff, the stuff people will agree to, the, the, the criminals and so on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, as I say, uh, think of the rest of it. They're going to kill everybody else to claim is unfit. Or maybe if you got, uh, Aldous Huxley mentioned it too. In an interview with George Wallace, it says, well, supposing people, even just simple things like, like you're short-sighted and you breed and you breed more children who are short-sighted, etc. He's trying to tell you that nature would have you a perfect generation each time by literally not producing the, 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 what you would claim would be the, the inferior types, even in that level. Well, that goes with simple, simple things too, like allergies. We're hearing that now with eugenics, eh? You really want to have a child, you know, you might, you might have this, that, and that, and that, and they might, 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 you see. And you're into eugenics and who should get born, who shouldn't. So all this stuff is, that Wells basically was talking here, and this is a little little bit of it. Okay, he wanted to sterilize pretty well, well most of the people that would, even the ones who were doing their base work for them, the really hard base work, the brutes, as he called them. Um, he'd have them sterilized until the next generation. They wouldn't need them because science would have again progressed. Even so, you're thinking you think you're living through <laughs> something that's just happening step by step by itself today. No, you're not. You're living through an amazing agenda. Sometimes the agenda gives the appearance you're a bit freer, especially when they need you to fight the next war. And as soon as you're fighting it, suddenly your rights are getting taken away from you. If, if some enemy, or, or enemy that wasn't an enemy before, retaliates and, and you've got martial law back home. Or, as I say, a plague is awfully handy, whatever kind it is, and the same thing is happening, isn't it? Terrify the people, terrify, terrify them until they can't think anymore. But I, I, would, I would say to people, you know, if you want an idea how they think today, and what you see being taught in the sciences, including medicine, it's good to read Anticipations as an example. And there works by Bertrand Russell. Some of the parts you might agree with. In fact, that's how they get you on board. It's like the people that they send, they give to you to follow, like talk show hosts and so on. You'd be very, very careful because the authorized ones out there, even the ones you think are fighting authorized ones, it's like rat poison. They must give you stuff that other people, real workers, are putting out there. The real investigators, they'll take it all and see it's theirs, and and put it out. 
to sound legitimate to the followers. Oh, yeah, well, they're, they're telling us good truth. Yeah, well, they are taking from here. But the real project, the real motive is, is that one, you know, that, that last 10% poison. You know, which is politics or who you vote for or, or what nation to bless or whatever it happens to be. It's, just, it's really something else we're witnessing today. It's never been so open. Never, ever. Yeah. But yeah, you, you must be given a good part of the truth to, to take the poison, you see. That's how it's done. And let's see now. So I'll put, I'll put uh, maybe well, you can go look it up yourself, anticipate. It's a good read, actually. It's quite, it's not, uh, it's quite um, interesting. Especially now that you're locked in and you can't really go anywhere or do very much because of the, the lockdown, the global lockdown, eh? It's almost global. But just before I get into this, the talks tonight, really, so please excuse my <laughs> drifting off into something else. But if you read Anticipations, it gives you an idea of what you're dealing with today. You understand? They might say mindsets. And Wells was a big player for putting up massive propaganda through fantastic fiction, by the way, and, and stacks of nonfiction as well. It was his fiction that gave him the credence and the stardom to do the, to do the non-fiction, in fact. And he's quite open about inferior types. He was into phrenology, measuring skulls and all that in his outlines of history. You'll see that kind of thing. But I'll put this here, and it's by Brandon Turberville. And it's interesting, he, he's, he's talking about uh, lockdown. He says, 230 years of rights and liberties shredded and why I oppose the lockdown. It's a good article. And it's, again, everything is food for thought. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or agree with it or not. If you don't look at everything, you won't learn anything. It's bits and pieces from all different aspects of human thought. We, we actually learn things, and you would understand what's happening right now. 9-11 took so much of the rights away. It had already been decided long before that, that when they brought in electronics, and computers, it would guide you eventually to enslavement, where the authorities would know everything about you in 24 hours a day. And they had it all worked out, too, how many years to give you on what would seem to be free this and free that, and, and until the, everybody thought, they expected everything to be free, but they addicted them all. They even knew that pornography and bringing up one generation, up to these about 20, at least, with with easy porn and all the rest of it, with, with further agenda, they would never toss that computer out the window uh, or whatever they're using, the tablet, you name it, uh, because they're addicted to it. That was part of it. And then 90s, that's what they made sure everybody knew. It was every paper carried, oh, more, day after day, we kept month after month. You know. The internet's full of pornography to make sure that everybody would go in and see it, you see. Everything else can get stopped, but then it, there was no attempt at all to stop pornography. They can stop you, they can, they can cut you off just for saying something or thinking something or even asking questions. That's how, how tyrannical it is today. But, uh, but back then, they made sure you had enough little free things and entertainments that uh, once they started to take your rights away from you, you'd, you'd keep using the computer. It's all worked out that way with strategists and behaviors. So 9-11 took away, and of course, no one, you, you, in fact, I can remember the headlines, so many headlines. Are you going to willing to give up your, for your rights for freedom and, and safety? You know, 
Every every Western country went into the same act with the same man on the street, you know, asking uh, asking different passers-by, the, the man and woman in the street. So you, would you be like, oh, well, you know, I suppose we'll have to do it, you know. And you, you really think what happened then. And don't, never mind the fact there was a whole massive backstory to the whole 9-11 thing, as we all know. I won't even go into it. But it, it was mainly concentrated on, on one day's attack in New York City. And the whole world was to change. Understand? The whole world was to change. And in so many ways. And never to get your rights and freedoms back. And Patriot Acts got signed. And the president said to all the people who were supposed to sign it and look at it or, 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 or debate it, if you don't sign it, you're unpatriotic. What was that? Well, were they going to put you down as a criminal? And George Bush Jr. gave the speech too. He said that um, you're either with uh, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. There was no option at all. In other words, if you weren't going to go along and you didn't like what the, what the U.S. was planning to go invade other countries, uh, then you, that you would be classified classed as a terrorist. Incredible, really. The same guy who repeated his father's talk before it happened. Oh, if I see a world coming into view, a new world order, but hmm? ten years apart from his dad, eh? giving the same speech, and you think it's just developing by itself. <laughs> so here we are. Here's part two, and just like part one, so many rights you're never to get back again. You see, you you've been told even after nine eleven, and the years following nine eleven. They said that uh, get used to it. Uh, this this war on terror is going to last your whole life and beyond, and it's it's permanent. It's like the temporary war tax that became the income tax, you know, and the victory tax, etc. And this 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 nuisance thing called rights, awful nuisance. That the CFR journalist published, and I've read the article so many times over many years, when he said that we've got to stop attacking the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, this is head-on, and debating that, and said, just ignore it and go around it and over it and above it, build bridges and go around it, circumvent it, by bring, bringing other laws in until you can't see the, the, the Constitution and Bill of Rights anymore. That's what he was really referring to. And it's true, most folk go through all, the, all this extraneous stuff that's just sort of pasted all over it, and they can't see that what's lying underneath, you know, the simplicity of it. So here's, as I say, you're into 9-11 part two, you might say. Brandon goes into the Constitution and what it meant, etc. And now people are panicking, is, is, and that's where they're meant to panic, and that's when you, you just do what you're told and run with the herd. And it's, it's designed that way. Incessant, incessant psychic driving, too. Daily stuff. You're all going to die. You're all going to die unless you do what we tell you. Incessant. It's the same as the towers. Every minute in any television station at 9-11 and the days that to follow, you see the same planes going boom, boom, no, 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 over and over, psychic driving, boom, 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 which imprints it in the brain, you see. And here you have it today, eh? Here you have it today. And don't forget the economy was already crashed before it happened. It was crashed because we never recovered 
um, from the 2007-8 manufactured planned crash. It was planned because the big bankers, had, they all pulled out there and investors pulled out of everything before it happened. <laughs> so it was planned to, to go right up to the, to, the very, to the very end. They're still trying to work out who really owns houses now because they kept flipping mortgages until hundreds and hundreds of times per, per mortgage. From banks to banks as well, and just flipping and, and in, increasing the value increase, you know, until literally almost mud huts were worth ten million. You know, yeah, that's that's stretching it a little bit, but not too much. This is supposed to be. This is supposedly the same society in which you live, eh? all run by you know honest businessmen. I don't know who invented that one. Probably the businessman. But anyway, uh, as as Brandon t- talks about. Um, how police officers now are often indistinguishable from the military soldiers. And don't forget, there's so many of the... I remember years ago, uh, when you started bringing the troops back from the, the different wars, different uh, in different years, they would go straight into the police departments. And in fact, they're wooed, they're wooed into the police departments uh, as soon as they, they come out. And uh, and they, they treat the, the people on the roads the same way. They pull their guns out and them as though they were... Afghanis or whatever, or Iraqis, you know. Same thing. It's intentional. And once these rights go and, and you allow these things to happen, the terrible things that keep happening, as police do forget what their job really is supposed to be or it was, then uh, you're in trouble, obviously. So I'll put that, this one down tonight. Also, I want to mention, too, that, that it's so amazing that Gordon Brown, who was the Prime Minister of Britain at one time, who helped crash the economy there too and wrecked it, another world socialist, who was eventually put over to the US, I think, at the World Bank, I think he went to, which was probably his reward for crashing the economy of Britain, I suppose. And he worked uh, over there. Um, and anyway, he's come out, of course, and he's urged world leaders to create a temporary form of global government to tackle the twin medical and economic crisis caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, this is from the Guardian newspaper. And uh, so there you go. The former former Labour Prime Minister, who was at the centre of the international efforts to tackle the impact of the near meltdown on the banks in 2008, said there was a need for a task force uh, involving world leaders, health experts, and the heads of the international organizations that would have executive powers to coordinate the response. A virtual meeting in the G20 group of developing and, and developed nations or countries chaired by Saudi Arabia will be held Thursday, but Brown said it would have been preferable to have included the UN Security Council. He says it's not something that can be dealt with with one country. He says there has to be a coordinated global response. It's the first and foremost a medical emergency, and there has to be joint action to deal with that. So there's the emergency part. And and once you get emergency, then you have your emergency powers, and then you have the United Nations, and, and then you have a completely different system running your the show. I've already made quite plain that uh, I, can't, I haven't seen the laws of, of quarantine used as they're supposed to be used. It, it isn't difficult or rocket science uh, 
to deceive a domestic population. It's all understood that the plans have always been in existence, what to do. And the first law is you stop all travel, international travel, into your country. We've watched a farce from January right through to the present time where international flights from the, 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 the contaminated countries, the heavily contaminated, still come in. And some of them just take a flight from one country to the end another country, and, another, and they eventually get into the countries they're supposed not to be allowed into. They get there and do round trips. It's still happening now. What a farce it is, isn't it? And then you bring in, uh, you know, contaminated people, and, and they ask them to go home, if they got a home, and, and just quarantine themselves. They're just starting now, and inside Canada, I think today, or yesterday, uh, or I think, actually it's Monday they, they put it in, I think it started to take where where literally interprovincial travel, is that most of it is supposed to be banned except for buses and trains. Well, I guess nobody travels in buses and trains that, that uh, you know, they're infected. It's just nonsensical, really. So they've, they've made sure, as, I, as far as I'm concerned, they've got enough people brought in with the, with the illness to ensure that it's passing on uh, so they can get all these measures forward because they, they could really have nipped in the bud much, much, much earlier. No doubt about it. And you don't wait two months before you tell people not to have cruises. Actually, three months and put themselves in danger and so on. Anyway, um, this is the kind of thing that's going on here. So, so there's Gordon Brown calling for global government and with basically wartime powers. And again, the experts, the guys who really look after, the guys that crash banks and, and, and uh, like 2007 and eight, have them on, on board with the, the top and to run the countries and the world, you know, the guys who've really profited from all. By causing it, I mean, and he says uh, we need some sort of working executive. If I were doing it again, I would make the G20 a broader organisation, because in the current circumstances, you need to listen to the countries that are most affected, the countries that are making a difference, in countries where there's a potential for a massive number of people to be affected, such as those in Africa. And the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund needed an increase in their financial firepower. And of course, they're always, t- <laughs> it's just astonishing the hands of us out. You're going to turn out, you're going to be utter slaves. They can live in utter austerity and live on, on a, a handful of rice, etc. to make it all work, right? All for the good, you know, we're all in it together, right? All for the, for the greater good. Uh, so the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, the two big organizations, along with the Bank for International Settlements, these private organizations, private banks, folks, they're private. They were set up by the world controllers that the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They set this up, these, including the UN. Eh? You don't vote for these guys. Eh? They meet in secret and all that. So they want an increase in their financial firepower off the other, you see, the, the people again, the taxpayer, to cope with the impact of the crisis on low- and middle-income countries, he said. I, to be honest with you, the money I live on is probably below the poverty line today. I don't ask for any, any help of uh, authorities. 
And what they were given out, in fact, to some of the people in some of the countries, uh, I'm way below them, what they get. I, that's what I bring in, you know, and live on. So here he is saying, uh, they want to get tax me and other people, eh? to give to the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund so they can cope with the impact of the crisis on low- and middle-income countries. I hope he's talking about me in Canada. I doubt it. You see what I'm saying? Corruption, I, I, we live in corruption. We're overarched by corruption. It's all around you. It's but the top is top heavy with it, and all wear business suits and have fancy titles of their organisations and so on. And they they'll justify millions of dollars for income for their incomes quite easily for the big mansions and 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 to pay for their central heating through their mansions and so on. As they tell you, you've got to pay taxes for climate change and so on and all that carbon. This is the same bunch, eh? They want to sit on a board and tell you how to live under the pretense they want to help Africans. Mm -mm. As we're going through this too, and I was thinking going back again, but I won't go back to the moment to H.G. Wells' anticipations. He did mention the people who live on opiates and so on. As, of course, Aldous Huxley mentioned too with this Soma, the people would all be on Soma, a drug that would have little side effects, like long-lasting side effects, but it could put you in a, a wonderful, euphoric, happy, contented, non-anxious state, you see. And as we're going through this, isn't it amazing? Because when you look at the authorizations of the ruling ones about the behaviors above us, they have all these psychologists and behavioral think tanks working for governments right now. And every country is getting the same propaganda dished out at the same time. Exact same stuff with the ads and so on. Here's one here, talking about, um, they call it packies, I guess they call it packets or something. Food and beverage operations would include, include package stores, it says. Uh, and and they fall in are as essential to what we need. So the stores that must stay open, you see, and through all this. Businesses in stores across Massachusetts, it's happening everywhere though, going dark and remote if they haven't done so already, under the new emergency orders issued by the governor and so on. And it says here that um, non-essential services are closing down for two weeks. It could be more longer than that. But there's, there's places where shoppers can still expect to be the, for a bargain or two, package stores are called. Yes, liquor stores are considered essential businesses in the Commonwealth, right there amongst the select places. It's the same across Canada, Britain, everywhere else. Plenty of booze as you get locked in, right? And, the, and, and I really mean it. I've, I've got so many articles, and I won't even touch them, because it's, it's like long lectures in them. But on the behaviorists that are working on all of this right now and how to manage our, our psyche. Right? And I really mean that. Million, billions, actually, dollars have gone into all this thing across the world just to manage our psyches. So if you get lots of booze, and you, you can't get food because it's cleaned out with, with folk panicking, but there's stacks of booze, right? And so it's an essential service that they can get their booze. And, can't, and here in Ontario, of course, the government runs the booze industry. 
and you have to get their booze from uh, liquor stores and beer stores that are run by the liquor licenses authorities. They're all government employees, basically, that work there. So the government gives us our drugs here, and they give us the, 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 a lot of the dope, too, here. Um, it's, it's all legal, you see. So anyway, and here's the thing, too. It isn't just booze, right? So his governor Baker says the decision is driven by federal policy as much as anything else. Moments after announcing the emergency order Monday, he was asked about how places like package stores and marijuana dispensaries would be affected by the new regulations. Food and beverage operations, which would include package stores, fallen as essential, and that's driven by federal policy as much as anything else. So, so basically, the booze and the drug stores, the real drug stores. <laughs> Uh, are, are continuing to make sure you're kept, you know, because people are freaking out, you see. They're, they're, they're tuning in every day. I, I gave talks a long time ago about horror stories and how, how, how they work. Now, everybody likes horror stories, a lot of scare here and there. We all like them. And there's so much to watch, you see. And even the really, really bad ones, you'll still watch them generally if you're not too tired. And the reason you keep watching intently, even in the most terrible horror story, is you project yourself into the stories. We, we do it in all kinds of stories, you see. Because it affects the limbic system, the, the primitive part, this basic you know, animal survival. And if you look away and miss a part of it for a brief moment of what the hero or the guy that you're identifying with in it is, you might, you might die. Because you don't know, you see. So your mind attunes you. Keep in a real life situation. If, you, if a monster was coming at you or was looking around watching you, you'd be, you you would you wouldn't take your eyes off it. You see, to survive. Same thing watching a horror movie. Well, that's what all your hype, 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 hype on the television and the internet is right now. Same thing, and you're terrified, and they're making sure you're terrified. And you keep tuning in to me, well, and all they, do, they keep demanding of you is you, the same things, you know. Don't go out. Well, how are you going to get the food in if you don't go out? Hmm? Especially the folk who are supposedly most susceptible to it or, or the bad effects of it. It's the wrong age group sort of thing, as they say, or certain disabilities and making them more prone to it. Well, they've got no option to, but to go out. I'll have to go into Sudbury myself. I was in the hospital, remember? I was croaked in 2016 with something similar. And they kicked me out of the hospital. I had to get the drugs myself to cure myself. <laughs> Not kidding you, that happened. So I'll have to get into town and try to find, and hope they haven't cleaned out another supermarket. And, uh, and no one is going to, the government says, stay at home. Well, what, you supposed to starve to death? To stay at home and starve, is that the idea? Hmm? Then they use UPS, I think it is, or, or purely a courier that, that takes the, the, the orders from, I think, the, the, the big stores that are delivering food and so on to someplace like Amazon. They don't deliver here. They won't deliver in, in my little place in the stair. They'll take the money for it from the guys that, that whoever, whoever purchases stuff. But someone's going to send me a few cans. They, they won't do it. They want me to go into, into Sudbury to get it. That's, that's a 40-mile round trip. So you've got a courier, a courier company in Canada uh, that wants the customer to, to pick up the stuff around them and deliver it. Hmm, okay. 
And I've done that before, of course, over the years. I kind of think that same company. So yeah, you, you got to you got to go into town and risk it. I'm sure Mr. Trudeau doesn't to drive into some supermarket and put himself and other folk at risk. Another article I'll put up tonight too. I've got to do before I forget is um, is about the farce. The farce is involved. Do you realise the campaign to show you a celebrity is getting this? Oh yeah, that's all you get is terror, fear, and celebrities getting it. And I'm a bit suspicious of them personally. Because it's against, it's right up the, the, the path, basically, the beaten path of the marketers and how they convince you that we're all going to, we're all susceptible and they're human. And we all follow the, the all the people all follow the, the, the celebrities. It makes it more, more real to them, you see. If, they, if it's a celeb, more, Joe Blow getting it, you wouldn't care. But a celebrity, I, I'm very suspicious of them, I really am. Really, really. And by the way, they, they certainly have incredible treatments for those at the, near, at the top. They really do. They really, really do. You know, China is already getting um, taking the actual antibodies from survivors in China who are donating blood, and uh, it's really immunoglobulin, basically, and you inject it into people with it. Who are, you know, and they're fine right away. Kills it off right away. I remember the Africans did that and, and, and uh, to d- deal with Ebola years ago. And there's a show on it too. Because the, the UN went in with, with the WHO, World Health Organization, and, the, the, and the, these doctors have been, and were furious that, that when the Africans, eventually, the African doctor says, We've had enough here. We, we can take the blood from survivors. And, uh, and and with, again, you withdraw the, uh, the antibodies from it and inject it, in. and they, and 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 something like about twenty patients that they did it with, in a village. All of them except two survived. We were getting this injected, and they were all terminally ill at the time, going under fast. And the two that didn't survive, the, 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 when it was too late, their the organs were already in total failure and necrosis, breakdown. So the African doctors knew what to do, and it was awfully successful. They've always known how to do this. So believe you me, don't think that any world leader is going to get it bad here. Uh-uh. Unless he's not part of the club and they want rid of them. There's all kinds of treatments they have for them at the top there. But we won't see them at the bottom. I also want to put up some articles to do with, which I, I talked about two some years back. I saw it coming. When I got the, the whiff, the whiff of the, from the World Health Organization, using other organizations too, like the vegans and so on, you know, stop, stop eating animals and, and stop eating, stop pumping them full of antibiotics. And, and then, of course, all the health, the ones who are really, and there's a lot of people who are really overboard with the health thing. They really go, go for it all. If it's, an, if it's in a health magazine, natural health, they'll, they'll just uh, go overboard without thinking. The antibiotics, are not in the animals when they go for slaughter. It's a law. They, they stop giving about a month beforehand. Uh, antibiotics in you or an animal won't last longer than 24 hours in your system. And if something was put in the system, the time it's cooked, it's not an antibiotic anymore at all, honestly. Folk forget that. There's all kinds of ways to get you to stop eating meat. 
and um, of course that's one of them. But the, the, but the World Health Organization put a big push on too. And you have to understand the World World Health Organization, and and was across the hallway there too. At the United Nations. You also get the you also get the, the United Nations have a department. It used to be called PALS, uh, Department of um, Population Control. And it was actually put up there and funded. It was set up by the Rockefellers years ago, and so it was put through their fund. But the whole point of it was to it was actually population control. Then they just dropped the control part when the folk realised what it was. Still there, and so the World Health Organization quite a few years ago, and then really stepping it up in 2015-16. You saw these articles appear and across the, across the board at the same time. You know, doctors perhaps shouldn't be prescribing so many antibiotics. This is part of a campaign. You see, the general public must read this stuff and oh, I see, okay, without realizing this is a campaign you're reading to get you to stop asking or, or expecting to get treated with antibiotics. And they put memos out to the doctors, encourage them too. To, to reduce their prescriptions and antibiotics and so on. Right? Well, guess what happens when you when you reduce your prescriptions of antibiotics? The folk who need them can't get them, and folk die. And I've already read last week uh, the articles and put the links up to them in Canada. With it, with it, well, we, we've got to start thinking about now who we can treat and who it won't treat before it gets worse, you see, before it hits really badly. Eugenics and bioethics are all into play right now. And they've decided before you even get brought in, if they're going to even bother just palliative care till you, till you die, depends on who you are, what age you are, pre-existing condition, written off. And believe you me, the doctors these days are like robots. Most of them can't think for themselves. They go along with these agendas. It's like idiocracy, you know, and... They've got their little tablets out in there and, and, and their phone and they point to things that are wrong, a little pain here, pain, you know. Flow charts, flow charts. And if they're taught, you know, just stop prescribing that and expect folk to die. You see, you have to accept that as part of the work. And so, well, when they're in the hospitals, it's all admitted to. Even when they're pushing the different forms of quinine right now along with uh, azithromycin, which is an antibiotic. How many folk are getting antibiotic? Have you, have you worked that out? Huh? You can, if you really dig into it, and if you get, if you're good at investigations, find out that you like places in BC, there's certain reasons why. They've even had 90-year-olds come out from critical care. There's good reasons for it. Now, some of them are political, by the way. Because it's not good for folk to die. They're in specific um, categories in this day and age. And so they, they give them all the treatments they can to, make, to pull them through as best they can, which they won't give to the rest of the population, probably. It's, re- it's awful. It's so terrible today with political correctness. You, you, can't, you, you, just, you couldn't save yourself now if you had to. By just knowing facts, that might help everybody. That's how bad things are now. But I know that some countries, for instance, are going overboard with everything they've got to bring certain ethnic groups through because they don't want what they classify as ethnic foreigners 
dying on their soil. It looks bad, bad, bad down the governments and so on. And everything's so so incredibly tender, isn't it? Talking is tender. So, so much so you can't describe anything if, if, you had, if your life depended on by knowing it to save yourself or saving others. It's that bad. And it's going to get worse. So other countries are at this too. And um, so, yeah, as I said last week, if you are a certain age and you have any problems at all and you might end up in there, make sure you have an advocate that will fight tooth and nail when they try to deny you certain treatments which should be standard for everybody. I really mean that. I will also put up another one, another article to do with uh, the last one. Six states declared marijuana dispensaries essential businesses, exempting them from lockdown. So there's, there's more and more and more of them. In Canada, it's even better, you see. Um, because Canada, uh, everybody at the top in the government and so they, they 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 sunk their money investments into the big corporations in Canada, and uh, the companies, right when this was happening, actually already have their hands out for about a million and a half or maybe a billion. I don't sure sure what it is of bailouts because they were in such bad trouble because they'd overestimated what the, the, the folk would, they thought folk would start living on the stuff, I guess. Maybe stuffing their their, their, their um, matrices with the stuff. I don't know what they imagined, but it was going to be heaven for all the people who invested. And uh, it's, the bottom's been falling out of it, apparently. Big, big trouble. So when this came along, the, the out- outcome in the hands, please give us money and save us. And uh, we're, 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 you need us. This is the Soma time, you see. So there you go. By the way, as they're doing all that with the booze and drugs until you all stay at home, right? And it's bad enough as you go neurotic watching TV and be afraid, be very, very afraid, and keep bringing the same experts on, telling you the same things. Um, and by the way, before I forget too, I, I, I just tuned in to Canadian radio today, and CBC, I think it was, or one of the stations, and, and they're talking about British Columbia. And, and they, they, they've actually got a, a big fan base now for the woman who comes on, the doctor out there, who gives these little quips. I don't know if she writes them herself or they're written for by, by the marketing companies and so on. Because everybody reads scripts these days. But she's a PR person, a spokesperson for the people. And, and they've given her star status. And they've got a big fan club for her now and rah-rah clubs. This is all, all manufactured, isn't it? Like a wartime scenario. So these are the new, the, the new heroes, you see, and big fan clubs for them. And they, can, they tell you, you know, keep two meters apart. You know, this is what they get. This is what you go to university for and get, you know, big money when you come out and wash your hands. Mm, okay. And um, and 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 don't come out your houses. As I said, there's always a dead silence. Like, like, but how, how are they going to get food, you know, etc.? Never any. They don't say that. These stars don't tell you how you manage that way. Especially if, if there's no income, a lot of people. Yeah. But let's have fan bases for them and make them into star status. And you, know, and, and you create an image for them, you see. The star machinery is all in operation. It really is, folks. That's how things actually happen and how, they're work, how they work. Another article, too, is called A Brady Bond Solution for America's Economic Crisis and Unpayable Corporate Debt. 
and it goes into the even before the COVID nineteen crisis uh, had slashed stock prices in half. Since it erupted in January, financial markets were in an inherently unstable condition. Years of quantitative easing after the 2007 and 2008 crash had loaded so much money into stock and bond prices that stock price earnings and multiples and bond prices were far too high by any normal and reasonable historical standards. And the risk premiums disappeared with only a few basis points separating the U.S. Treasury bills and corporate bonds. So it goes into the what's happening in the financial realm, and so and so. And it's true enough. It, this was time for this big thing to happen, and it's uh, uh, some will say it's a godsend, I suppose, or depends. But there uh, maybe it's a, sent by a demon. Who knows? Eh? Nearly half a Canadian say they can't afford to miss work as coronavirus cases escalate. But don't worry, you, you, you've got you've got you've got doctors now that have that are made into stars, you know. Wash your hands six feet apart. Cough up your sleeves. Stayed in your homes. Okay. But you can say it with a little joke here and there. As I say, who who writes it for? I don't know. Yep, I tell you. And the folk never figure it out. Everyone's getting staged and managed like that. In wartime scenarios, that's what they're doing. I remember looking at the British ones too. I kept wondering who these characters were that they, they were giving, like George Formby and so on. And he was saying the little, with a working class accent. He was no working class guy, but uh, he, he was saying the about uh, leaving your bubble gum when you're leaving your bubble gum out or your toothpaste overnight. Something I can't remember what it was. Silly little ditty songs that H.G. Wells even talked about long before Formby came along. But they made him a star too. A wartime star, you see. They, they, they do all these kind of things, always. Literally, they made Churchill a star as well. That's what it was. I, I liked, actually, as I mentioned before, Spike Milligan. Spike Milligan was uh, he was bipolar, a comedian. And not everybody's cup of tea, the type of humor and so on. But he did mention that, and he was in, uh, in World War Two, I think an artillery unit, a kind of mobile artillery, artillery, artillery unit, and he did mention about cracking up on one of the when they were getting shelled one day, and he just clawed himself into the ground basically. But he does mention when Chamberlain came back with his little paper about his treaty with Germany and and how it, uh, they were all happy and so on and happy and, until eventually uh, the war was declared, and he says he heard on the news and. He, the Prime Minister came on and says, he says, we are now at war with Germany. And as he says, you know, what struck him was the we part, because he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and that's the way you have to look at things in all reality. You have nothing to do with it. It's also staged, isn't it? We are now. Eh? But here we go through all this thing, the same kind of thing too. We were on it together. For the greater good, though. So Canadians can't afford to miss work, etc. You got so much disinformation, along with the information, it's just just astonishing. You still can't get actual actual figures on anything. The way things are written and, and put across with the wonderful Malthusian graphs. Mal- Malthus was the first guy to start graphs, you see, to terrify the public about what would happen if this continued. If people kept reading 
and you'd all be walking each other heads, you know, you, over your heads each other. But it never happened, of course. And of course, you'd all die of starvation. It never happened either. But facts don't matter when it comes to terrifying the public to get them to be compliant and, and to do what they're told. Last week I mentioned too, I said, isn't it odd that even in Sudbury they said there's no community spread? But they just knew that the following week it was going to be massive. And I said, well, they're going to either bring it in or, or else release something. How else could you do that? Well, see, the, <laughs> they've got the snowbirds. Snowbirds are retirees that, that go down for the winters, and mainly to Florida and other places in the States too, but mainly to Florida. And then they come back up in March. Well, bingo. Without really uh, uh, mentioning too much about it uh, to the people, they start not talking about new cases. And uh, you dig into the case and you find out they, they came back from mainly Florida. Uh, snowbirds, some of them drove up and other one, and they're supposed to go straight to their homes and quarantine. And there's an article they said, no, they're not going to do it and comply, etc. So that's what they said, is to try to make you dislike them. It's not their fault. The fact is, some of them definitely were contaminated, and and of course they haven't been screening anybody all along in Canada, either coming in through aircraft or any other ways. And so they got, they got cases for sure. One woman was on a plane, she got a plane from Florida, I guess to I don't know, it was Toronto or somewhere, and they got a flight from Toronto to another place inside Canada, and so that that to, when she came down sick eventually. They had to trace. This is the comical bit to me. They said they're looking for the passengers on both flights that she was on from, I think, four, seat, four seats down. So all the passengers for, for four seats on the way from either direction, front and back. That she had to, they had to, I guess the virus knows not to go any further than four seats. Eh? I guess that's how it works. It's amazing how scientists just know these things, isn't it? And you get bureaucrats who just come up with the rules. Well, that's it, four seats. Everybody else is, but won't bother checking anybody else. Or did, did maybe this person go to the bathroom a few times and touch the seats as she went along? You know? Well, let's not think about that. That's, let's not look on the dark side of things, for goodness sake. It's too unpleasant. And no one likes to look at unpleasant things like that. So just like four seats down and back. So they had to trace those folk and then put them in quarantine too. But there's more and, more and more of them, actually. There's, there's thousands come up across Canada and a lot went to Quebec. And, and, but even that, <laughs> it's quite amazing. Because you, you know they've got all the science, the scientists working in the social programs working together with this, this agenda too, don't you? And they already had the Facebook on board and and this other social programs, Twitter and so on. Even in the exercise they had with Bill Gates and uh, Johns Hopkins University, they, they had they already admitted they already had them even for the exercise on board for a thing before it happened, which is pure luck, of course. But uh, there's articles, I'll put them up, where they're using your phone apps, all your stash your phone apps, and, and they're tracking you everywhere you go. Not just who you meet and your cluster of friends, and they are tracking your clusters of friends too, uh, to see because if one of them's infected or or possibly even got a little bit of a fever or a headache or whatever, uh, they want to then study all of you, and they'll keep tracking you 
and listen to your calls and so on through the different echelon programs that they have. They're triggered by certain words like I've got a headache, I've got a fever, yada yada yada, and uh, and then of course your cluster of friends and where you travel uh, are all watched and, and monitored. Did I actually say this? But you're monitored. Eventually, they might come and get you if uh, after giving you a warning to stay put at home rather than quarantine yourself if you think you're sick. And this is all again in the newspapers as they get ramped up for it. Of course, I'm sure they had this all planned long, long before. Uh, that that uh, this thing broke out, as they say. I should really mention too that before I get off the topic, remember I, I never planned my talks, but I was thinking of the last enemy uh, that TV series that Britain did. It was about um, two or three parts, perhaps, but it was really well done. And it was 2008. They showed you the high tech machinery. It was actually designed. They actually said that when they, when they did the the, the, the series. Uh, that the author um, had looked at all the different technology which was in use then and the stuff that was on the table to come into use and put it into the series where everybody in Britain was monitored way beyond anything you can imagine and, and internet speed for the for the uh, the government agencies was just incredible uh, speed beyond anything that, that, that the average person's getting at home and, of course, they had all the data on every single person in real time as they monitored everyone, followed you in speech, the whole thing. And the whole, and it was called The Last Enemy because the, the enemy was the people's rights and freedoms. And it was to do with, guess what it was? It was to do with massive migration coming in illegally and a secret plan that, that, that was hatched by the government and, and their, their version of homeland security, you might say. Uh, to to um, to use science and vaccines, free vaccines to help the people in all the countries that had their their cities not bombed in the Stone Age, and then they would track them with tracers coming into the country, because these things would give off uh, traces basically through as you're going through different checkpoints and 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 you go through subways. Everything's got little little uh, cashless things in the registry going through with your ID and everything else. But on top of the plot, the scientists that they hired actually put something else in the vaccine. It was a disease, ethnic-specific disease, meant to hit mainly just them. The ones that got it, you couldn't catch it from them. Maybe if you got a transfusion from them or something, but it would kill the person who had the vaccination itself just for them. That's what it was based upon. Uh, and hit teams going out to try to kill off anybody who was uncovering the big plot, you see. So the government agencies were all, there's been two or three government agencies all kind of competing with each other to, to clean it all up. It was quite well done. They showed you the technologies that were in use then and the arguments that were put forth in the fact about why they should monitor the public, etc. They also had... Um, what they called, and it is true, they do have this, by the way. Uh, you, you find this in your emergency plans that, that be unrolled everywhere in every country. Uh, if you have an ability to talk to people and communicate to them, and you're not putting the right stuff, the authorized stuff across to them, in times of war, they grab you and imprison you. They'll warn you and close you down, fine you as well, they said they would do, but they could imprison you, or maybe even worse, eh? this is wartime scenario. In The Last Enemy, 
if you don't go along with everything, you're called an, an unis, which is an unaffiliated subversive. I mentioned this years ago too. But unaffiliated subversive, it means you're, you're not necessarily affiliated with any any terrorist organization, but um, you're subversive individually because you you don't comply with, with authority and go along with it, you see. So you, you'll get lifted, at the very least. I'd also like to mention that Gates' Universal Vaccine Agenda, ID 2020, is, is all there too. 2020 is not just ID, it's an ID with your vaccinations. And I'm, as I say, getting back to what I talked about in the late 1990s, was the, eventually you would need to this thing as you walked into anywhere, and it's even to get food. And if you didn't have, get, have your vaccines up to date and so on, and this is in Bill Gates. This is the kind of thing that's in Bill Gates' ID 2020. He'd, I'll put the links up, you read it from his own site, his own statements and so on, that really um, you'd be a threat to others, you see, because you're a threat. So you, you, alarms will go off eventually, you see. They've already done the testing in some volunteers with this kind of thing. And of course, and eventually it's to go all the way into, into not just your ID, but it'll be your, your debit card uh, you know, and your skin and all the rest of it. It's unlimited what you can put in a chip these days. And also tattoos, they can use tattoos. Uh, a few years back, they showed you some of these tattoos. They could actually make them trendy on your skin, but they're actually a, a circuit type of thing, a, a integrated circuit. And they can make them really, if, I guess, enough TV shows and so on with heroes and heroines, then they can make it trendy, sexy, and folk would want it. Also, um, and that's the, the tattoo delivery chip uh, is called... Another thing, too, they always give you these slogans, like the James Bond, he would always give you. They're, the, the tyrants were, were generally incredibly rich billionaires, individual billionaires, but they belonged to these same organizations, you know, Spectre and so on. And um, some of them were even taking over the world's uh, water supply under the guise of preservation and saving the world and having big philanthropic investment companies on the go. And uh, in reality, they were actually they would start to, to ration the water, and, and it would cost a fortune. It was it was more it'd be more expensive than gold, you see, which is happening in different parts of the world. And of course, the hype up the drought, oh, drought like never before, is to make sure they've, dra- they've drained places that you normally get water from. That's how it really works, though, you see. When I think of event two one. I do think of James Bond, believe it or not. Whenever I see the, the big, uh, obviously appointed by a very much higher power, you might say, uh, to rule over us or manage us, basically, uh, being benevolent, uh, you know, philanthropists and all that kind of thing, I can't help but think of uh, the characters in the Bond movies because often the bad guys were the, the, the great, you know, philanthropists and they were doing wonderful things to change the world, and big money was getting spent in technology, generally in sciences and so on. But uh, <laughs> when I when I really see Bill Gates, I can't listen to him when he's waving his hands a lot. That's all he does is too much hand flapping and arm flapping, 
uh, which I distrust in people because they, they get taught that in the motivational courses to conv- and they're taught to, they think that convinces people and distracts them or det- really detracts from what they're saying it, it absorbs you in the actions as opposed to the content and at the end of the say a business meeting for instance you'll say oh yeah okay without thinking because you, you forget everything else I've said because all the all, all this magician sort of waving in front of your face I can't really stand it it's, and it is a taught thing you know but but Bill Gates really um, is a lucky guy, as I say. He's very lucky. He just happens to get into the right things at the right time, and and things take off at the right time. And you know, and he goes around the world to help the world. But uh, he reminds me, as I say, when I think of that that event, you know, uh, that he went to the uh, two hundred one and helped manage. I think of the character in the James Bond movie, believe it or not. That's, my, that's how my mind works, I guess. And it's Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, it was Tomorrow Never Dies, it's called. And um, the main character and the villain in it was a, a wonderful man who was worshipped by everybody because he made sure through publicity campaigns and marketing and, and massive publicity, they made him a star, so you would worship him, that's how it was done. And so the character, uh, he owns massive newspaper, news organizations across the world, video and newspapers and everything else. And he literally made the news in advance. That was the part of the trick, you see, because he, he would man- manipulate events in the world to make things happen. And, uh, of course, Bond comes along and catches on to the game and disrupts the, the, the outcome of the news, which really upsets him since he's already got it all written how it's supposed to work out. But that was his big headline, too, in the movie, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, was Tomorrow's News Today. And that's really what Bill Gates makes me think of with his meetings, because he, he just seems to, I guess he must read tea leaves a lot. You know, he must get the old-fashioned tea, the proper stuff, and, and you're left with these tea leaves, and you bring somebody in who will stare at them for ages and then tell you what it means. They can see things in it, you see. Uh, things are going to happen. Uh, if he did the same thing, you know, he doesn't need to bet on horses. But if he did, I'm, I'm sure he'd be a, a real winner with that too. Interesting, the Red Cross uh, is requesting blood. But they're not, they're not doing testing for the COVID. Isn't that rather odd? They were asked this you know, in interviews. That, no, no, they're currently to do any special testing. I was wondering too if it's for, it's for the uh, the white uh, the, the actual um, antibodies uh, from folk who've recovered. They won't tell you that, but I'm just wondering. It's for the wealthier people, I imagine. Also, want to mention the Ray Bradbury Theatre. Ray Bradbury was an awfully good sci-fi fantasy writer. A lot of his his stuff got used and put into movies as well, just like Philip K. Dick. And Bradbury put one called The Pedestrian in 1989, a short, a short, maybe 29, 30-minute uh, show of, of a future where everyone is locked down. And they've been brought up, their lives in the lockdown. They can't remember when they were free. So they're raised in the apartment buildings and so on, each one in your own apartment. And they didn't have the computer there then, but you had a TV on 24 hours a day with gone on so many stations. And, and people would just sit individually in their little box and, 
and, and stared at the thing. I guess food must have got delivered somehow. I don't know how it was done. But no one, no one went outside. It, it was a permanent curfew. And so one guy that used to phone him all the time would come down and, and he'd try to get him out. This was particular guy try to take him out with him for a walk at night. And the guy was always terrified. Oh, can't, we can't do that. Can't do that. You know. And all the excuses not to. And eventually goes out with them. And they and they couldn't believe it. They're looking at the moon. And he couldn't remember ever seeing the moon and so on. And 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 uh, nature and all that. And eventually a, a kind of robotic helicopter comes along. And questions them and says, "Why are you out?" And the guy says, "Well, uh, to get some exercise and something to do." And the guy said, "Haven't you got television?" He said, "Yeah, it's broken." And but eventually, he takes one of them away with him. Well, there's nobody in the helicopter. It's robotics, and he's just getting is walking into it. He's been ordered to walk into the helicopter that opens his his front door, and he says, "There's nobody in it." He says, "I wonder how long these things have been operating." Without any humans at all, maybe there are no humans left to to manage all this whole system, and machines were just going on as usual and threatening people and taking them away, if the, if they were literally uh, a kind of a, um, a kind of a sub, subversive again, uh, with old a kind of old think to, uh, mentality, you know, saying that that a term for it in the thing, but it was interesting just the concept of permanent lockdown and. Until you take it all for granted, it's normal, and you're supposed to stay in your room, and the whole idea of it, it just it all falls into place at the same time. These kind of shows, along, of course, with um, with the eugenics program and Silent Green, and also um, you had Logan's Run. It was a big hit too, where you hit a certain age and. Here, a little chip in your hand went off and you were carouseled away into oblivion, meaning you were destroyed, but they, they thought that you were going up to a kind of heaven for the general public. Eugenics. And of course, the same thing that, again, H.G. Wells and his pal, George Bernard Shaw, and a few others, and his mentor through all, because the, the one who financed the Fabian Society was the Astor family, Lord Astor. And of course, they they thought too, but the useless eaters and just doing away with them too, and all the useless people at the bottom. That's all there really, isn't it? You know, people like to have winners all the time, but they follow what they think are the winners. And that goes for authors down through history that predicted certain things and how they even put some of the predictions in novel form. And we have, of course, those who for the last while have been on about, oh, Aldous Huxley, with his brave new world, uh, really put it across much better, as opposed to, you know, old-fashioned Orwell that saw things, the, the big boots stamping on the human face forever, and an authoritarian managed society, a curfewed society, and all the rest of it, with rationing and all that, you see. And how, how crazy, because, and I said years ago, they'll use both systems together. And here we are. You've got massive psychological warfare going on with monitoring of, of us all incredibly minutely right now. Billions getting tossed across the globe for all the snoops on the internet, the managers and watchers and so on. But at the same time, yet you have martial law techniques getting put in with millions of troops in some places to ensure folks stay in their homes at night and that kind of thing. Very Orwellian. And when you think about uh, 1984, Orwell had it quite right too. 
Because in wartime, and he went through it in wartime, he was a propagandist for the BBC, in fact, he worked there, and he understood it. And he said in, in 1984, we, 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 they, had, they had these, basically these um, propaganda spiels every day where they come out and say that we have made so many tanks and so many rifles and so many bombs and for, for the, our boys at the Malabar front and... And today we get the, the, the heads of countries coming out and saying, we've made so many million face masks and so many gowns and so many gloves and for our people at the National Health Service front. It's the same stuff we're hearing. It really is, isn't it? And the same techniques are being used. So it's, it's kind of interesting to put the two together. But yeah, both systems, the Brave New World system and at the moment, at the present, the Orwellian system to speed up a little bit are being both used at the same time. Anyway, we're living in an amazing system that really, uh, to watch this unfurl in a complete war strategy with the same kind of propaganda and even celebrities also. Uh, the only folk that seem to be sick are celebrities we're supposed to believe, eh? And are they really? Are they? Are they this is part of the, to me, it's, it's two-staged, that part of it. I have no doubt about that. Celebrities really love them. They don't like getting sick. They like their lives. They enjoy it because they're so wealthy and everything's taken care of for them. Now, Michael McCaffrey is a journalist who he writes uh, from Hollywood, basically, where he works. And he's got a good, uh, a good page, basically, on the celebrities. And he calls it the celebrity virus. Because you get inundated with these ridiculous, inane oh, verbiage interviews with who's doing well, who's not doing well as a celebrity. And, of course, for some reason, they're all getting... Their they're all getting into the news as having uh, supposedly, supposedly, uh, the, the quarantine for the virus, eh? poor souls. But uh, this particular journalist um, says coronavirus is a terrible malady that is killing people and the global economy, but isn't the most pernicious pandemic effect afflicting the group right now. It isn't, no. It says the most diabolical disease currently in circulation is a dreaded celebrity virus. The onset of the celebrity virus starts with a steady stream of verbal diarrhea gushing forth from empty-headed, self-absorbed, attention-starved celebrities, which is quickly followed by a convulsive, <laughs> a few more different things, and rage headaches from the rest of us. Then he goes into uh, the, the people you've seen recently, uh, uh, the celebrities, uh, with, with all their, their thoughts, you know, as, as they suffer, because they can't mix with people and nonsense like that. It's just completely made up verbiage, as I say. But it's a good article. It gives you a little chuckle, and um, it's worthwhile reading. We, we certainly need a, a chuckle during this, this debacle we're going through right now. So I'll put the links up for that. Let's get on with some of the other things here before I, I run out of time here. Remember, too, I could do maybe split this into two parts or just put it all up in one go. I'm not sure yet. You'll see at the end of the talk. Remember, too, folks, you can help me out by going to cutting through the matrix.com website you can set, always get the, the whole the whole talk there for sure and list my other sites which are listed on the cutting through the matrix.com website uh, in case the case this one goes down for any reason you've got their ones listed there which will be working hopefully and you can find out too how to send some cash to my way as well so that I can tick along here hopefully because, as I say, I I'm, I live in, in uh, <laughs> I live at a level most folk can't, can't fathom at all. I really mean that too. And uh, so, anyway, 
coronavirus, more than one million people fled Paris. I talked about the snowbirds coming to Canada again from the States, eh? and Florida's a heavily infected area right now. So more than one million people fled Paris as lockdown began, the phone data suggests. So there's actually phone data organizations there that show you. They're all, we're all getting more. If you've got a cell phone, you're getting more. I don't have a cell phone. Uh, but um, most folk have cell phones and you get monitored all the time your movements uh, and when you suddenly vanish from an area they've tracked you already to where you ended up uh, very very precisely too quite a few organizations are doing this so I'll put this one up one, one company is called um, one phone company called Orange said it analyzed location data chartered the mass exodus from the capital as a country prepared to restrict movement to tackle the virus so nearly 1.2 million uh, between the 13th and 20th of March, uh, vamoosed out the country. A lot of them came to Canada too, Quebec. And Quebec now is just rising with numbers um, infected people too. So that that was a good um, uh, area for them to flood to. Some of them may flood to. Goodness, I don't know how, I don't know how many, but it's French speaking, you see. And so it's, it's a kind of home from home in a sense, uh, where they feel more at ease naturally. But unfortunately, it's now going to up higher and higher in Quebec now. Cause and effect, eh? And this, the same thing happened, remember, with Wuhan. Five million people, I think, vamoosed out the country very quickly and went to different areas. A lot of them came to the west coast of Canada. Lots of relatives all over the world, you know. And you can't blame folk for being petrified and, and trying to get out. But uh, regardless, though, there was no real attempt to, to stop anybody coming in from these to the countries to save your domestic populations. The first law is always save the healthy population first, by all, because once they get sick, you, you, everything you're fighting for is lost, isn't it? If it really goes bad. So strange, strange new types of uh, quarantines. No one people getting quarantined are the general population who are to- all told to stay home. Uh. And uh, scientists whose doomsday pandemic model predicted Armageddon just walked back the apocalyptic predictions. Neil Ferguson, he was a biggie there, a professor who uh, ignited the world's drastic response to the novel Wuhan coronavirus when he published the bombshell report. And the link is there too, predicting 2.2 million Americans and more than half a million Brits would be killed. That's this was be very, very afraid scenario that the U.S. and Britain parted, you see. After both the U.S. and the U.K. government, it's all done by computer. I think it's the same computers where they predict the weather, you know, and, and the climate change. It says, after both the U.S. and the U.K. governments effectively shut down their citizens and economies, Ferguson is now walking back his doomsday scenarios. So his report from the Imperial College which White House and other officials took seriously, said that if the U.S. and U.K. did not shut down for 18 months and isolation measures were not taken, we would be expect a peak in mortality, daily deaths to occur after approximately three months, he says. His model showed overflowing hospitals and ICU beds. For an uncontrolled epidemic, we predict critical care bed capacity would be exceeded as early as the second week in April, with an eventual peak in ICU or critical care Bed demand uh, that is over 30 times greater than maximum supply in both countries, he says. But now he's, he's going back on his predictions to an extent. I guess he's maybe put a, uh, an update to his computer program. Isn't it? But, uh, this is after tens of thousands of restaurants, bars and businesses closed. Ferguson is now retracting his modelling, saying he feels reasonably confident our health care system can cope 
when the predicted peak of the epidemic uh, arrives in a few weeks. So he testified with the UK's Parliament, it's like Committee on Science and Technology Wednesday, and said he now predicts UK deaths from the disease will not exceed 20,000 and could be much lower. Also, too, here's the kind of thing that confuses you. I don't think you realise that most folk now they're getting put down by phone and so on as having the virus have never been tested and won't get tested. You can play the numbers game, too. And lots of folk are playing the numbers game on all sides and for all different reasons, and a lot of science organisations too. And, and the statisticians, of course, that's what their job is, is to use statistics for agendas. <laughs> but anyway, the, the, the Ontario Provincial Police says that the first uniformed member that they've got going ill with it, I guess is what they're trying to say, it's badly written, even so badly written, first uniformed member which make folk think, well, don't they have uniforms for the rest? The way it's written, right? Anyway, it's tested presumptive positive. So a presumptive positive for COVID. Before, they could only use positive after the testing, but now it's presumed positive. So it's a presumption. or, or, or is it, You don't know. See? And lots of stuff is written this way, too. This terrifies the people, doesn't it? Also, when you see the different levels of folk who supposedly got it, and you'll say, my God, that's a hundred for every thousand that's dying or something. So for every thousand that's got it, a hundred's dying. But no, don't forget that the ones who here have phoned in or the folk being tested are not the whole population that's got it. For every person who supposedly got it and tested, there are thousands that probably got it and don't even know it. So then the death rate doesn't look anywhere near per thousand. Uh, as it would seem to be if it's only the ones who are tested and then so many so many die, you see. Everyone who's tested, there's thousands who are not tested. That's what I'm saying. That goes up and up and up with, with the overall numbers. I'll put these links up for those that uh, want to peruse what I'm talking about here. An interesting article, too, was about in, in Italy. And you hear all the different reasons why Italians are... By the way, I was going through a lot of documentation and old books, by the way, that were written after the so-called Spanish flu of 1917-18. And um, it had listed, one of them had listed, did, did pretty good listings that were written, books written about 1925, uh, of the different... They had so many people fighting in the Europe, you see, all different nationalities. And they found that, uh, again... People who were Chinese, but the ones that got to China areas or Far East, they, they got hit very, very hard with it. But interestingly enough, Italians were fighting in the, in the trenches too. And their own, they were also fighting in their own country against, uh, against the so-called Axis powers or whatever they call themselves. But uh, it wasn't Axis before World War Two, mind you. But anyway, they were fighting World War One, and they were coming down with it pretty bad too in Italy. And much more higher numbers than, than the other peoples. Uh, the, the, at the time, some of the authors, and even afterwards in universities, tried to figure out, um, thought maybe it was due to bad diets and malnutrition in some country, poverty. But they were no poorer than the Irish and, and the Scots at that time. And, um, and they weren't coming down with the same kind of numbers. So it was thought there was even queried then or something different. And of course, we know, know today there's different uh, 
receptors and, and more receptors for this type of thing in certain people's lungs than others and ethnic groups. And also they found that the people from the area that, that eventually was called Iran also were high, higher in it too. Uh, higher, higher mortality rate, right? And, and, and they caught it more easily too. So it's interesting that there's, there's something definitely with these COVID viruses, if that's where it was the first time too. And that's just off, off the, by the way, as I say. But um, there you go. And the area of Italy where it really broke out and spread. And this, this is from uh, the New Yorker in 2018. The Chinese workers who assembled designer bags in Tuscany. This is an interesting little article. And it said that uh, the first significant wave of Chinese immigrants arrived in an industrial zone around Prato, a city 15 miles northwest of Florence in the 1990s. Nearly all of them from uh, Wenzhou, a port city south of Shanghai. For the Chinese, the culture shock was more modest than one might have expected. It goes on and on and on of how they really, really grew up, you know, and, and, and multiplied, brought more in. And um, it says um, they, started, they came in really as, as bottom line workers and then started getting small business, even starting in garages and things, and then built up and got factories. Stacks of factories. He said, like the family in Tuscany, business life, and it revolved around small interconnected firms, just as it did in Wenzhou. And so they really took off there. Thousands and thousands of them uh, live there and go back and forth to China, in fact. But it says, um, by the mid-1990s, by the mid-90s, Wenzhouans were getting up textile businesses in small garages, and then they, they go into buying big fa- manufacturing businesses. And and then they're into designer clothing and the whole thing too. But there's thousands of them living there now permanently. So there's obviously a, a connection too, um, because a lot of them were coming back and forth from China all, all along uh, until it really broke out hard there. As I say, you just really do, you have to really look and look and look. And it's the same in Canada when you look at the people who, even in the homes out west in British Columbia, it was quite fantastic to find out that many of them had taken trips to Iran from the old folks' homes. I guess these managed tours to have or something. Others had gone to Egypt. Other ones had gone on the cruise ships. Other ones had gone to China. It was in China, back and forth. And... Um, you start to get the, get the connections of, of, of different people carrying it back and forth from countries. But isn't it amazing that Canada wasn't even putting its foot down? And I'm not sure if they've even put their, their foot down yet in international travel. I really don't know. So I'll put these links up anyway for those that want to toss the ideas around their heads. And again, a flock of homeward-bound snowbirds landed in Brockville, Ontario and settled overnight in the Walmart parking lot and so on. It goes on through the... About the fact, too, there's a striking fear amongst Canadians, amongst uh, store employees, because they're supposed to go straight home and so on, and they're going to your stores and all that, yada, 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 yada. But again, there's no there's no checks in Canada at all over temperature, sickness, or background, if you, if you felt sick in the last week or something or whatever. Nothing at all. And uh, it's quite amazing. Eh? Also... Peter Hitchens put a, a, a link up to, to an interview with Professor Sek- Sekeret uh, Bagdu. 
and he is high chutzpah. He's Dr. Sakharit Bagdi, an infectious medicine specialist, the professor. He's one of the most highly cited medical research scientists in Germany, head of the Institute for Medical Microbiology at the Johannes Gutenberg University in Mainz, one of Germany's most distinguished seats of learning. And they give the transcript in the article and the link. Also, wanted to, to link. It's also done for on YouTube, I think it is too. I'll put that up as well. And it says um, it was done on the 18th of March. So it says note one of the figures he gives for deaths in Germany is now out of date. It is not mistaken. It says so he talks about the coronavirus and spreads over the whole world and what the viruses are. And. Um, it says very often infection remains subclinical in coronavirus types without symptoms. Severe courses occur almost exclusively in elderly patients with other underlying, underlying illnesses, in particular of lung and heart. And he goes on to, to give, again, the medical point of view on it that they're all getting taught today. He shows you how it's often you be mistaken with the numbers that are dying. And why they're getting certain different numbers and discrepancies in the numbers too? Because no one else is born to explain things. You understand? Everybody wants the big graphs and they, oh my, look at this spikes graph. Oh my God, it's going up and up. And the, the Malthusian charts, you know. He said he was talking about Germany, I believe. He says with only ten thousand infections, that was then, right? Eighteenth March, two twenty twenty. It says ninety nine point five percent have no or only mild symptoms. You see. It says, here we already see that it's false and dangerous to talk about 10,000 patients. They are not seriously ill. Infection is not identical with disease. Of the 10,000 infected people, only 50 to 60 were severely ill. It says 30 died to the present day. So we have apparently mortality rate of COVID-19 positive cases per day. Up now, the looming worst case scenario that must be prevented, according to authorities, is that we would have one million cases and maybe three thousand deaths. It says, in one hundred days, that would mean thirty day deaths per day. So he, he goes through again how, and I'm, I'm not going one way or another with it. I'm saying, I mean, this is definitely, and this is definitely, uh, and I'm more suspicious than most folk about this particular disease because it's got different characteristics than previous coronaviruses. Even the, 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 the fact that it's primarily going for the, for the older folks, primarily going for males, and the, fact, the effects that it can have on the, the, the lungs too are really astonishing. Um, if you get hit with a bad coronavirus, uh, you, some parts of your lung will never recover. There'll be scar tissue forever. And this, this is no exception, this one here. Um, you'll lose lung capacity permanently if you survive. However, there are treatments. There's, no, there's darn good treatments out there, too. They can stop it pretty fast, but they've got to start giving you the antibiotics, definitely. Because antibiotics, whenever you get the complete um, storm, you know, basically where your body goes to to war against this thing and uh, attacks the the, the disease in the lungs itself and it brings all its troops and its cavalries and so on into the lungs fast and, and really saturates it with blood heavily. 
then some of the blood will go through the, the barrier. The, the, the alveolar tissue is very, very thin. It's meant for oxygen to pass back and forth with, with medical CO2 out too. But the fact is, uh, you start getting blood coming out of it too. And then when blood can, can get in and out of the alveolar eye tissue into the, in contact with the air and hemorrhaging, then bacteria set in immediately. And so you've got to be on antibiotics. Hope folk realize that. And, and hence the thing to this thing for or doctors. You should really stop prescribing antibiotics since 2015-6. I saw this coming years ago. Well, isn't it amazing that once you start to, the doctors don't want to even give you that if you're really ill. You better start looking at this. Get you an advocate, folks. Absolutely. Uh, who will stand by you through thick and thin as the, these very well-trained, these very good-trained bioethicists come up and, well, you know, you maybe have to look at them. Maybe this is, you know, they've, maybe they've had their time here, you know. And they're often nice and you like them. They've been well-trained how they get through to you. But you can, but no, you, you can get people, you can, they've got people in their 90s that they're desperate to save in British Columbia, pulling through them, who are now getting discharged. Hmm? Really? And they've got ways to stop the, your, your body massively attacking uh, the lungs. If they want to do it, they, they can certainly do it, folks. Where they will is a different story according to the, you know, the, the list of your, your age, oh dear, male, oh dear. Hmm. And uh, pre-existing condition, oh dear. Hmm. How, valued are, how valuable are they to society? Do we really need them? Well, not really, you know. Uh, well, it's a palliative care. I'll put the articles up too, where they're telling the doctors not to give antibiotics if need be from previous years up to the present, as they go through the agenda, of course. And then... I'll put up to the invisible quantum dot tattoo could be used to ID vaccinated children. The one that uh, MIT is working with, uh, along with, I think it's Bill Gates, and it's published in uh, Science Translational Medicine, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yep, of course. Amazing the big agendas this man is. He's such an altruistic person. He just wants to, you know, help you all. And then what's the real death rate for the coronavirus? Figures re- re- reveal just 0.6% of patients in Germany die, but the rate in Italy is higher than 10% because of a stark difference to say in testing regimes. But well, uh, there's something else going on definitely amongst in Italy, there's no doubt about it. But in the rest of the world so far, it, it's been nothing like Mr. Ferguson said it would be, at least in, in the Western countries. I think Australia's even lower, you know. And Invisible Ink could reveal whether children or kids have been vaccinated as well. MIT, the same thing again. Engineers working with the same same characters, you know. I'll put that up as well. Another thing, too, I won't even go into is, is the incredible, disgusting postponing of certain medications and so on through political reasons because, and let's be honest, you know, the, the big, big pharma companies are all competing. Do you realize be the billions of dollars at stake per, per, per contract? Billions. But if we're petrified, you know, uh, oh yeah, they can demand what they want and the government's going to guarantee that it's going to get paid one way or another. And, and oh yeah, and, and some of them are connected to the folk in governments. Like the, like the businesses, eh? 
or their relatives. It's just so sad, isn't it? And they're squabbling and stopping some of the cheaper stuff getting put out right now to try and get their pals what their contracts through for it. It's just incredible, the disgusting behaviour that's going on right now. Paul Craig Roberts actually has an article about that too, I think. I'll see if you can find it and put it up. As they squabble as folk are really sick or maybe even dying. And that really is about almost it for the night, I guess. I didn't want to rush it through it so quickly, but I do want to say this. You, you, you have to think for yourselves. You know this is going, they want to drag this out even further. They're talking about, well, and against trial balloons in real time, very much like The Last Enemy, very much like The Last Enemy series. In real time, they could float ideas to the public to see how they'd accept it. And within five minutes, through the different algorithms and so on, they could tell in real time, all through all the social media would be searched. In five minutes, they'd know exactly how many folk were for something percentage-wise or against the idea of whatever it happened to be. So they could adjust the thing that Travel Balloon was for to make it spread over a longer period, to make folk get used to the idea or whatever, or nudge it a little bit. And that's how things are. We're living through that right now, in real time. And they are using all your all your, your, your social media apps and so on, the spy mechanisms and your phones and everything. And they, they're talking about it openly now. But they've been doing it all along, folks, really. And now, of course, they can give themselves permission just to save you. you you know, you, you got to, and, and there's articles out there too, just like the ones after 9-11. Well, you know, you may have to give up all your all your privacy uh, to, for, for for safety. This is identical to 9-11 ones. And the folk will be so terrified. Oh, well, I guess so, you know. So whatever happens, this is fulfilling a lot of the agenda. It's the same agenda as sustainability and austerity that came out a few years back. From, from the whole climate group and the whole thing uh, to do with uh, bringing us down to a basic, simple way of living and then cutting back on, on energy and technocracy, Inc. idea. Cutting back step by step. First take over it all, you know, take it all over and then cut it back step by step. Once you've taken it over, public-private partnerships, sorry here, through electricity, um, heating, fuels, and so on, start cutting it back. This time, they're already talking about maybe brownouts if they can drag this out for two years, this pandemic. All the things I talked about in the early 2000s and onwards to do with brownouts, because they came up with their plan then, they would unroll these things to bring us into austerity. Well, here, bingo, you're watching it all get fulfilled. All of it. If they can't get you to, to comply with it one way, they'll make you comply with another way, you see. It's to save you all. We're all in it, in it together, you know. It's for the greater good. So keep your heads. Don't go nuts. Uh, help each other out. you got to help each other out if you know people in the same boat as yourselves. And um, don't just sit and watch that TV until it terrifies you. It's the greatest tool for terrorizing. You're looking at a system where the media has been lying to you for your whole life about most things, and suddenly they've got you all glued to it. Huh? And they're making stars, supposedly, of, of doctors that say, wash your hands, 
cough up your sleeve. Don't go closer than six feet to anybody. Stay in your homes. Making stars out of them. Because they'll give little jokes for them to, to quip on. Probably written by writers groups, you see. Everybody out there, it's PR. Public relations. Which is the new term they gave for propaganda. It used to be called just basic propaganda. They changed it in Bernays after day to, to public relations. And public relations, every organization out there for corporate businesses, for the police, for everything, has public relations. People who will bend, it, bend all truths or all questions and give you odd, odd answers to anything you ask, but never straight answers on anything. That's their job. But they make many stars now. Hmm. There you go. So keep your heads. Don't be drinking yourselves to deaths in your homes. And then you'll be battling each other. Again, after they announced, oh, you've got to make sure you've got to keep the beer flowing and you've got to keep the, the drugs going and, and, and uh, the cannabis at home, the police are expecting more domestic violence. I wonder why. You're all going to get shut up for months, maybe. Don't forget, they, they said at the beginning of this, 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 this might be like the last big flu one. It might literally go all through this year and into next year. This is what they're hoping for. That's what I see, anyway. Because do you realize the money that's getting tossed out there that's never going to be accounted for by the ones who are receiving it? The big corporate ones. So give us this and we might find ways to do this. And, that. and massive. Millions were given. Millions. Maybe billions, actually. To, to, to all the, 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 the mind managers, all behaviorists. And they've got sites out there telling you about it from their own sites and how they're going to help manage you and tell you what. They even had stuff, and if you're at home, how often to masturbate, for God's sake. I wonder how much they got to put that article up there. Bertrand Russell said, We'd bring in a world, he says, where the people will be unable to think for themselves. They'll be guided by experts for every simple thing until they can't do anything simply by themselves without the expert. And bingo, we're here, eh? Bingo. So when you're really feeling bad, listen to some good music. And uh, remember, eventually, one way or another, this will eventually be over. If you can help each other and you have your little little pal, your little group of pals, do help each other. Take precautions if you deliver food to each other and so on. And you don't have to go inside their houses. You have to agree with, with, with that, you know. And, and keep keep each other safe. And for those that can't get to to town to do any shopping at all, maybe you arrange for them and do it for them or things like this. Simple things. That's how you get. Don't look to government to help you. They're just the corporations that can look to government and, and expect to help, and certain certain big big political organisations and such. But for yourselves, you have each other, and do your best. Keep safe. It's awfully important. You keep it safe, but you'll get through it. We'll, we'll come through this. Again, if they, if they have their way, it'll be a different system again. And whatever laws they've slapped on with emergency powers will not be taken off, especially to do with whatever privacy was left. And you will have to eventually probably get made to go for, uh, they'll try and make you go for 
your little chip in the arm and so on eventually. Literally you want to do that. And it's there. It's, it's no, no conspiracy theory. It's MIT's involved in it with the, the Gates Foundation. And uh, as I say, you, it's up to you to, to eventually come out of this and say, no, no way, you know, get lost. Because you, you, where they're taking it with this and because of this is just the same agenda. They're taking it along the same route into totalitarianism. And they've already told you in the last uh, big meeting uh, for, the, for the climate change group and the WEF, World Economic Forum, that the people are not listening to our demands of what they must change their behavior and so on. There will be austerity and yada, yada, yada. He says, and uh, we'll have to take next steps to make, to, make, to try and force them uh, not to uh, continue the way they're, 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 they're with consumerism. And they're also talking about, it might even come down to it's time now to decide who should have children or, or, and should they have children. This is an old agenda. There are books out in the 1920s about this. They never give up because these, these foundations are eternal. They, they don't stop. They go on for centuries with their agendas. But again, they always say this too shall pass, the worst, the worst of it shall pass. And it's up to people then to demand their rights afterwards and demand inquiries into why a lot of people were not treated with the right medications and so on. And, uh, and lawsuits must start flying now. That, you know, and get at the politicians too, who, who allowed all this kind of thing to happen uh, because it didn't do the, the quarantining right off the bat. And they didn't tell the people that they had certain treatments which you could certainly give them. And again, more lawsuits for the, for the politicians that held back the treatments because they wanted their own pals and, and different pharma companies to get the contracts once they had their versions of whatever happened to be drugs on the market. So that, that's what you got to do. You know, you know that this is disgusting what's happening right now. Absolutely. Everyone is locked down. And have, we've been locked down for a while now. Well, international aircraft still come and go. Uh, uh, what's going on here? We're all locked down while they bring more and more in. Eh? And if they hadn't, if they if they hadn't, if they had done quarantine to begin with, you, literally, you wouldn't have the lockdown. There's no excuse for the lockdown. So I think that's why they kept bringing them people in. Obviously. It's like getting a loading dose enough, and they, okay, that's fine. Now we've reached the loading dose, and now we'll quarantine the people. We've got to stop thinking they're just stupid at the top, you know. We've got to stop doing that. But uh, as I say, um, the money has been has been. Do you realise it's all get paid back by the people, the taxpayers, all these trillions of dollars. And there's no follow up to see if folk come up with vaccines or whatever, you know, you know. It's just astonishing what's happening. But anyway, as I say, um, remember folks, I'll put up the whole, the whole talk at cuttingthroughmedics.com and I might, I might split it into two again in case folk want to have this part one, part two. I don't know just yet. Uh, remember, you can send a, a few bucks my way, hopefully, at cuttingthroughmedics.com website and you can use PayPal. You can also send cash if you want to. You still take cash. That can be washed and laundered. Believe you me, uh, without ruining the money.
and um, the mail still was still going. Although it's, uh, they say it may be a bit slower, you know, but the, the actual letter mail is still going uh, for the time being. And folk are still, they're still accepting cash in the stores. They don't like it so much, what they're told. But um, again, another part of the agenda is to eliminate cash, as you know. But as long as folks still keep using it, it makes it a bit harder for them just to drop it. So don't go crazy. Don't drink yourself into the, into the, the boondocks, basically. And don't drug yourself into it either. Listen to some good music and or watch some movies that you've got saved by there that, that uh, are a bit more uplifting. And and stop looking at the daily, daily hype, hype, hype by the same faces that, that are supposedly be specialists and specialists and that. And it, it reminds me, they made Greenspan a star too, you know. The man who used to come out, this little fella that would come out and everybody hushed and, and they would actually announce on he's coming out to speak and, and, and everybody's hushed and he would just, just tell me to stop Mark. All he would say is, cool it. Probably written by his team behind him you know, for, for, for Hollywood effect. Cool it. Meaning, meaning the stock market. And he'd walk away again. Then they'd go over, oh my God, the genius has spoken. He said, cool it. Wow, you know. Mm-mm-mm. The genius. The man who literally didn't believe that anything was real. He be- there's a, it's a kind of religion was going through at the time. It was a big, big fad well, that nothing was real. Everything you saw was, was, was brought into you through senses, into your brain. So, so we, even if your senses were wrong, who's to say you even had senses? Because everything's happening inside your brain. It's all getting made up inside your, your brain. He did an interview about that before the made him fell reserve, Ed. And he says, no, he says to the guy, he said, how do you know that everything, anything is real? How do I know? He says, that even you're real, he said to the interviewer. And that's why they made him the chairman, the Federal Reserve, because he looked at all the debt and it wasn't real either. There you go. From a cell phone walk from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.